You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. It is great to speak with you tonight. Please, if you've got any uh, last-minute questions and you're watching online, for those who are still undecided or you don't know how to vote or whatever, hit us up. We'll talk to you. We're going to talk about the election tomorrow. It's our Election Eve special. What is special about it? Well, Harry's not here. He's, he's got a real life, so he couldn't be here. But uh, we'll talk all about the election all about the numbers, all about polling, violence, everything. We're going to cover it all and give you an idea of what to expect tomorrow. Stay tuned right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Welcome to the program again. Again, my name is Chris Spangle. This is my fourth podcast of the day, so I'm going to be very sharp. Uh, fortunately, I'm not doing it alone. I'm doing it with Reinhold, who has Trump derangement syndrome. Darla, our, our buddy Darla is back in the comment section. We've talked about TDS. Well, unfortunately, Reinhold, four more years of TDS ahead for you. It's looking that way. A landslide of victory for Trump. You're really quiet. You got to turn yourself up, buddy. So, yes. So what we are going to do here tonight is talk all about the election. We're going to cover the numbers. Should you trust polling? What might happen tomorrow? Uh, We're going to talk... uh, Listen, a lot of what I am see uh, I am seeing out there is just anxiety, a, a ridiculous amount of anxiety out there. There was a poll that was out a couple days ago that said 55% of Americans believe the 2020 election day will be the most stressful day of their lives, Reinhold. 
And now who knows how good of a poll that is, but even if it's a bad poll, that's too many people. And so what I want to do here tonight, what I have found is that a lot of times the best antidote for anxiety is information. So we're going to give you a lot of information and in the comment section, we'll be taking your questions. So if you're watching live, you can ask us a question and we're just going to talk about the election and then the days that follow and uh, cover some of that. Reinhold, uh, the, the video viewers are noticing that you have – are you at Jeffrey Epstein's house? Looks very nice. There's nobody here right now, so um, <laughs> it was easy to get in. Yes. Uh, well, it is election eve, and one of the uh, – you know, every election eve – I'm visited by a very special friend, and this year, it's our friend Ken Bone. And I was sent this amazing present by my friend Josh Arnold, and let's hear what Ken Bone has. If you don't know Ken Bone, he's the guy in the red sweater from the debates four years ago with the mustache and just really stole America's hearts. Hey, Spangle, this is Ken Bone. I want to wish you a happy election day, if that's not too much of an incredible oxymoron. I know you're a proud libertarian, not like those poser libertarians. You're like a real one with the porcupine and everything. So good luck with the podcast. I know it's going great already. It's only up from here. Don't worry. We'll all get through this, even though we're faced with a ridiculous binary choice. Yet again, there are people out there like you and me that know that we don't have to conform to the rapacious duopoly of the two-party system. We're the smart ones. Well, that is the first time that I have been called a real libertarian in the last week. So I am thankful to Ken Bone for that. And for Josh Arnold, my coworker, for sending it to me, he has a great podcast called That Josh Arnold Podcast. Make sure you check that up. Uh, check that out. So just initial feelings, Reinhold. How are, you, how are you feeling about things? First, I'd love for you to tell me how it feels to be called a real libertarian. <laughs> it's never happened. It's ever happened. <laughs> no. Um, so my feelings about this evening is tomorrow. It's a Monday night. Monday night football is going to be on, so I'm going to mm-hmm. watch a little bit of that. Watch my fantasy football league, and then um, go to sleep. So it's, you're not I, anxious I think... at all for the most, the most important election <laughs> of your lifetime, which you've been through a lot. Been through a few most important elections of our lifetimes, and since we continuously get it wrong, I don't see where we're really going to make a difference this time either. It's going to be the next one's going to be the most important one, and then the one after that will be the most important one, and we'll still keep continuing on with the problems that we have, never getting them fixed, never addressing the overreach of the government or the authoritarian state that we get. It's all just going to continue on and march on because that's what people want. Uh, people pe- people are saying they cannot hear Reinhold, so if that's the case, let me know if you can hear Reinhold or can't hear Reinhold in the comment section. Um, so I tend to – before we jump into it, let's recognize our patrons. want to thank our $100 a month patrons, Casey Feldposh, Brad Tracy, Anthony Meyer, Matthew Durbin, Jeff Bennett, Reinhold, Christy Avery, Jason Doolittle, and Ed Brehob. You all help keep this thing afloat. Patronage is incredibly important if you want to uh, continue to grow independent media. If you saw 
what I wrote at chrisbangle.com this past week about Glenn Greenwald. Independent media is all the rage, especially when you have to quit your own thing. Um, so, yeah, you're uh, you're way low, apparently, Reinhold. So, um, How does it sound now? So, yeah, see what you can do to kind of jack that up and that while I do this promo. Uh, and then next right. we want to thank uh, – we want to uh, – Pitch a fundraiser for our friend Trisha Stewart Mann. Look at that beautiful ginger face. Uh, Trisha has had a rough year. The lockdowns have really set her back financially. She lost a couple jobs due to them, had an unsuspected uh, pregnancy, and is working right now on her feet and is really not able to. And if she just doesn't work for the next couple months, she's going to be in real trouble We've been able to raise $2,000. We're looking for 500 more. We'll put this in the show notes. If you can go and support Trisha Stewart-Mann, one of our co-hosts, that'd be greatly appreciated. Thank you to everybody that has donated. It's, uh, it's really uh, appreciated. Uh, so uh, how do you sound now? Let's hear you. How do you hear me now? Can you hear me now? <laughs> I don't know. We always have problems with your mic, and I don't know what it is, because I imagine oh. you don't touch anything. <laughs> I'm the computer guy. I touch everything all the time, constantly. I'm always touching things. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't do that. Um, I, I want to ask the the commenters, because this seems to me, and you tell me, to be one of the more anxious elections that i've been a part of i'd say the the other one was 04 2004 was a very stressful election i was very close between george w bush and uh uh, john Kerry, and it was nobody really knew how it was going to shake out every other election you kind of had it kind of had somewhat of a sense of where 2000 well i don't remember 2000 but you i remember 2000 i remember sitting online i was online for the like till three in the morning and when they took florida away from al gore and put it back into the toss-up everything went crazy and then like at two in the morning they started calling it for for uh bush and it was insane what was going on for the next three days four days the the supreme court gets involved all the lawsuits happen it was incredible to watch all of the machinations and you learned a lot about how the elections are really counted and how they're really um, like certified by the states. Uh, then, then go on and do the, you know, pick the electoral college, electoral college is one that really picks all that stuff. It was really um, played out for everybody's eyes at that point. Yeah. Because for those who don't fully understand how all this works um, and I, I have recognized over the course of 2020, how, Many people have a desire to really understand politics and the electoral system. They don't understand it because everything seems to be tilted one way or the other. And so what we really tried to do this year and what I'm going to drill down on over the coming years is civics education in some respect. Um, Just to help people kind of get an idea of how their government works. Because I don't think you can really change the government if you don't understand how it works. And that may sound odd for a libertarian podcast to spend some time talking about how government actually functions. But I think the the populist notions that 
you know, I really talked a lot about that. We talk a lot about the cliches that we use many times are often detached from how things really work. And it's been driven home to me with the rainwater election here in Indiana. Donald Rainwater is polling. I, I suspect he will get somewhere between 15 and 20 percent. And I've thought a lot over the last couple months as he's really started to push towards a victory about what would happen if he won. How would the party infrastructure actually handle winning an election at that level uh, and have to manage the entire state of Indiana? And I think it's a question worth exploring over the next few years and talking about because the demographics of the Republican Party are dying and they are not very good. And there is going to be a strong need for an alternative and the Libertarian Party and the, just the Libertarian ideology, whether it's in the Republican, Democratic or Libertarian parties or independent candidates, is going to grow. The appetite for what we offer will grow. When you look at Libertarian numbers in people under 40, over 40, 1% of the vote. Under 40, 10% of the vote. That's an enormous growth. That's a 10-point jump in, in uh, exit polling in 2018 here in Indiana. Well, you better believe that the growth of Gen Z and millennials here in Indiana are helping fuel that 15% that Rainwater is polling at. Uh, then you take the disaffected Republicans because of lockdowns, and you add that. You take Democrats that are starting to switch because they see their party for what it is. If you're a libertarian for any period of time and you start talking to friends and family, they really start to see the appeal of your ideas. The future is that we're going to grow. What happens if we win? Is Joe Jorgensen fully prepared to be president? Now, that's a marketing race. Let's be realistic. The presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party is a marketing race. Uh, and they're there to give broad themes and support down-ballot candidates. And in my opinion, Joe and Spike with the bus tour have done the best job of any set of candidates in supporting down-ballot can, uh, candidates and, and local parties that I've ever seen in my time in the Libertarian Party. They worked th themselves to exhaustion uh, and have done a fantastic job in that respect. Um, but, uh, you know... Who's going to be Secretary of Commerce? And what does that job even do? You know, when we look at police criminal justice reform, what are what exactly are we talking about? Libertarians often talk a lot about um, these broader themes, but when the rubber meets the road, we don't always totally understand. And so I've been really trying hard to explain how voting works, how these systems all work. And uh, if you are hearing conversation about a contested election. Hopefully you find our episode from a, a few weeks ago helpful in understanding exactly what they're talking about. So you can then tell your friends and explain to them what is happening. And everybody's just a little less freaked out. Um, you know, so go ahead, Reinhold. I want to, I want to address that too. What, what happens if we win, if libertarians win? And one thing that really kind of scares me about all of that, and I, I want us to win, of course, but if the wrong person gets in there and it gets it's handled very badly, then they're not going to let us go back and they're not going to elect us again. They're not going to yeah. trust us. So the person who first gets in there has to be solid, has to know what they're doing, has to be able to, you know, really, really make things happen and uh, be successful at it. 
And I think that's why a lot of times when we put up somebody who isn't a politician or doesn't know how the politics work, people just kind of shut us down or turn us off because they, they know that it wouldn't, it wouldn't be very successful because even though we want to change the way the government works, we still have to understand how the government works to do that. Yeah. Right. Or you create chaos and, and nobody's going to vote for chaos. Yeah, so I just I look at it and I go, four years from now, people are going to tune out the elections and four years and ten months, three years and ten months from now, people are going to go, why are these my choices? Well, it's because people just didn't pay attention for the last four years and they, they voted and they walked away. I sense, and hopefully our listeners sense, a growing hunger to not walk away this time, to learn more, to get engaged. And I want to uh, make sure that we are, are helping people get engaged and helping people understand their government so we can start decreasing the size and power of it. And it starts with information. And so wh- what I want tonight to be is uh, just a little bit of a primer. There's going to be a lot of new listeners. The biggest growth period is the week of the election as people think about their the first-time vote. Think about when you came into the libertarian movement. It was probably during a presidential cycle, and you started poking around looking for libertarian podcasts. So if you are brand new, welcome. Um, and we, we want to give you a little bit of a primer and talk about what information we look at, how the next week will go, and then make a few predictions for tomorrow, and then talk about a little bit, very briefly, about what might happen after that. So uh, that is on the table tonight. I want to start with information and the importance of information. And in a society, in a free society, it is, and we are a free society uh, because we are on a live stream right now talking shit about the government and nobody's knocking at the door. We live in a large, complex, free market society for the most part. And uh, people... That's why the lockdowns are so offensive, is that it is a significant intrusion into our daily lives and blocking us from doing what we need to do. The The lockdowns really illustrate to you how free we often are. And with that comes the need to persuade or or fool people into voting a certain way. And a lot of the reason that I think there is a lot of fear, and you tell me if I'm crazy or not, is that this is going to be a record turnout. There's going to be 150 million votes. 100 million have already been cast. There are already more voters and early voting in a place like Texas than all have voted in 2016. And when you have people experiencing something for the first time, they hate it. It's why being a teenager is terrible and awesome at the same time. You feel love for the first time. You feel breakups for the first time. You feel boobies for the first time. There's so many firsts. And you don't know what you're doing, and you have all this anxiety because you don't even necessarily have the language to explain everything. And that is why I feel there's a lot of anxiety right now around this election, is that many of you are getting involved and getting engaged for the first time. And I just want to say from one old partisan political watcher who has watched since 92, uh, I don't feel that anxiety. And I get why a lot of people feel the anxiety because of the year that we've had. I certainly understand why business owners are right now boarding up their their uh, buildings because of learned experience. I understand why Texas has the National Guard on alert in case they need to immediately quell some unrest. 
I get why people have these feelings because it's all kind of projected on the pandemic, on the economic unrest, on the social justice, uh, you know, uh, the protest and, and then the riots. Like there's just a lot of anxiety right now. I don't know about you, but I don't have anxiety. I feel like no matter what happens tomorrow, it's probably going to be clear. Donald Trump will try some stuff. It won't go anywhere. Republican uh, Texas just rejected another one of these, you know, messing with ballots. Every single Republican-backed judge has tossed out the Republican Party's efforts to dismiss votes. Like, I don't know that this is necessarily going to go anywhere, and I don't feel worried. I don't know if you feel worried, Reinhold, but I don't think people should worry. I could be wrong, but I don't don't feel the anxiety that other people have. Yeah, I don't feel worried. I actually am going to feel relieved that we actually got through the day just so that we can have this, okay, here's where we're at. Here's what the numbers are really saying because nobody believes polls. So, you know, whether they should or not is is a whole other debate. But there's just a lot of people who are like, nah, I don't believe what they're saying. It's going to be this or it's going to be that. It's like I just want to get past that point where we say, okay, here's the answer. Either, you know. One side was right or the other side was right or something just just to be able to say, okay, I know where we stand now. Now, how do we deal with it going forward? Because it's too much. There is a lot of uncertainty going on right this minute because of that. And we'll talk about the polling, but I I think that plays into it is the uncertainty. Everybody's traumatized from 2016. (laughs) You know, they don't trust their gut. Yeah. And even even the reaction to 2016 wasn't like people were out burning down cities or anything just the day after the election. It was still, there were people upset and mad and crying and, and everything else. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see like huge violence. I don't, I don't see a need for the white house to be putting up all these walls that nobody can scale so they can protect themselves. Cause I don't think people are going to be storming the white house tonight or tomorrow night. But um, I think a lot of people are going to be, happy and a lot of people are going to be very upset and, and confused um, because they've been told both both sides have been told that their candidate is going to win by a bunch. Yeah. It's in the bag. So one side's going to be kind of upset. Um, usually when I see these elections come around, it's like, a, well, it could be this way. It could be that way. And even in 2016, it was, you know, Hillary's going to win, but there's still a chance that Trump will, but let's not talk about that. Um, now it's just both sides are just saying, oh, yeah, our guy's going to win by a landslide. I guess so because that sets up a huge dichotomy between the two people that somebody's going to be very upsetting and confused. And if you've never lost an election, it sucks. Like if you, this is your first liber- cycle as a libertarian, that 3% is going to taste real bad tomorrow. But if you've had if right. you've lost every election for 15 years, trust me, it's not going to hurt as much. I, while I don't feel the anxiety, I certainly understand it. I think if you're on the left or if you are especially a person of color, you see like right, – let's talk about – do we want to talk about violence now or do we want to save that, that for the end? Let's, uh, let's move on to information um, because our buddy Henry here kind of typifies the mindset that we're going to talk about. So um, what information – where should you look for information and how should you judge information um, to be reliable? I don't think you in this environment can trust one side or one source. 
I think you have to look at it from a bunch of different sides and judge from there. I think if you are only spending your day going to Daily Caller or only going to Vox.com, you are doing yourself a disservice because you're probably falling for information that is going to drag you into uh, basically being propagandized by politicians that want to control you. And so I, I thought I was putting together a short list of information, but apparently this is a very long list. Um, but I just want to show you a couple sites because I don't think people necessarily think about what sites to go to. The site that I visit first every single day is a site called Memorandum. And this site is uh, uh, this site is an AI-backed. It is not actually put together by any person. It just scrapes Google News searches and, and database searches for a bunch of other stuff. And this gives you both perspectives. You can go here to discussion and you can expand this. But go to meme o random <laughs> uh, and I'll put this uh, link to the list of news sources. But if you just want to scan the news every morning, you want to wake up with your coffee, get a view of what everybody on all these different sites, I mean, they have everything from the New York Times to uh, Axios to Talking Points Memo, which is a liberal site, to One News America, which is Republican, IJR, conservative, the American Independent, Raw Story, which is left. Like They collect it from across the spectrum. You'll even see some very independent sites like um, uh, Zero Hedge on here. Uh, and it just gives you a nice little dashboard of what people are talking about. All right, so that's like site one. The second site, if you're just going to go to like two news sites a day, uh, then go to Memorandum. And then the second is called Rational Review News Digest. And this is put on by a libertarian anarchist named Thomas Knapp. He is a great guy. This site has been consistently managed and updated for years. He is a very, very thorough collector from a broad spectrum of opinion. But on Memorandum, you're going to get a lot of mainstream news from both sides with Rational Review, News Digest. Both of these have email newsletters. You're going to get the Libertarian Institute. You're going to get Counterpunch, which is more left libertarian. You're going to get Fox News Forum, which is Fox News. You're going to get Econ Log, which is down the middle. You're going to get, you know, stuff like the Raleigh News Observer. You're going to find news from an in, a really independent bent on this site. Those are, like, if you're just going to spend five minutes a day perusing the headlines, that's where you want to go. Uh, I have put together a whole list of cross-spectrum plus libertarian sources. I will put this particular website that, that I have, uh, which is just an invitation to check out a bunch of different news sites, and you might find something that uh, you are, uh, you know, you haven't checked before. You know, I've got New York Times and Real Clear Politics and The Atlantic on here, but I've also got FFF and Reason and Alternet and Zero Hedge and, and a bunch of other stuff. So it gives you a really nice, broad perspective. And these are just the basic sites that I visit every day for a bunch of news. I really like it. Uh, Political Wire is another one that I check every single day. It has a lot of really good news and kind of gives you some little nuggets that you might not have seen elsewhere. And those are kind of, um, that's like your basics. 
that's going to give you news, opinion from a bunch of different sources. Uh, and you're going to really, over the next few days, have some good information. It's going to be reported there first, and you can check those guys out. So um, what do you check, Reinhold? What do you read on a daily basis? Um, so on a daily basis, you know, I kind of look at Twitter a little bit, but the political wire that you're just talking about has been my latest kind of obsession with the election coming on. Um, it it kind of gives me a good feel for it. Uh, Real Clear Politics does a lot of multiple different views, like left. They'll have an article from somebody on the left, somebody on the right, somebody on the left, somebody on the right, that sort of thing. Um, the Intercept is always a good one I like to go to. Um, I used to do a lot of spend a lot of time, and I used to write for Watch Blog, but apparently, I found out this week that that site is now kaput um, <laughs> after twenty years, which is unfortunate. Um, so that's one I can't recommend anymore. But um, and then what I'll do is I'll find I'll hear about a story or I'll see a story that um, is like oh either that really confirms my biases a little too well or just sounds completely impossible. And that's when I go looking for, okay, what do the people on the left say about this? What do the people on the right say about what the people on the left are saying about it? And then you see that they go, Oh, well, this is not right because of this and this and this. So then you go and check those sources. You start fact checking that information. And that's how I try to make sure I find out what the truth is, which is somewhere always kind of in the middle usually. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I do. I just kind of, drift around a little bit. I don't think I have anything like you have set up where I go every day to one place. Yeah, uh, I have. Places. I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a freak, but because I do this show, <laughs> I feel a, a responsibility to check a bunch of sites. So I have like this little uh, tab here. Um, that's darn it. It's not showing up on the on the thing. But I have it when you go to my uh, bookmarks. Let's see if this works. Um, when you go to my bookmarks, I have, you know, this first section. And I go to all of these sites every single day, save the relevant stories to my Insta paper. Oh, another one that we didn't hit on, which is really good, is Real Clear Politics. Always has a bunch of a nice dashboard. And what you learn is that if you go to like Real Clear, Political Wire, Memorandum, National Review, Vox, Alternate, you've got like every like and the and Rational Review, you've got kind of all the different spheres. You've got more information than you can read. You've got a ton of just like, and you don't have to read all this stuff. You don't even have to look over. I don't ever even look over here at this section on the left on real clear politics. You just look at kind of the meat of what people are looking at. But my diet is a lot bigger because I do this show and I want to be informed and I just want to keep up on the headlines. And that's my first click. And then, uh, then I've got my second click, which is just even bigger. (laughs) Um, and you just can learn so much just by kind of like perusing these headlines while you're watching TV. I get out my iPad and scroll through them and just kind of check it out when I'm when I'm not in a position where I can really read. So, um, yeah, I just think it's really important to have a broad news diet and not just read what is inside your sphere of what's inside your coalition, basically, like, you know. It's one thing if I were just to go every day to Daily Wire, Reason Magazine, Ron Paul's website, Mises, FFF, FEE.org, like these libertarian websites because they tell me the stuff that I like. Like when I go to fee.org, I'm like, yeah, 
debt sucks. <laughs> you know, like when you when you go to those sites, you're gonna find stuff that you you know, when I, I love going to Jacob Hornberger's website because I get all kinds of stuff that like I am going to enjoy, like, don't forget LBJ's election theft and d- no debate over the welfare warfare state and get those drug war stamps while they're hot. And, you know, the cost of foreign interventionism is veteran suicide. These are things that I am interested in as a libertarian. But that isn't necessarily what the public is interested in. And that's why you've got to visit mainstream news. That's why you've got to understand kind of what's going on in the culture and, like, you know, and. and well- Ideas are not viruses. You're not going to catch leftism is if you visit WashingtonPost.org every day or whatever it is. Like you, you can, it'll make you a stronger thinker. Right, and that's the key: is that you you need to find people who are who are questioning your echo chamber. So if you go into your echo chamber and you just get constant uh, reaffirmation about your thoughts, you start to become lazy. You start to become like, well, why can't you guys just see this? This is obvious. Um, but when you start going outside of that and you start seeing people uh, pushing back on your views, then that starts making you go, okay, now, why are they right or why are they wrong? Do I need to reexamine this? Let me think of a good defense. And you start thinking about it. You start actually actively developing the tools you need to to uh discuss your political views with other people who don't necessarily agree with it. And it's only then that you can start to change hearts and minds of anybody else. You can't just go yell tax, you know, taxation is theft at somebody and they're just going to go, oh, okay, never mind. I guess you're right. That's not going to happen. Right. You've you got to understand. You've got to understand if you're trying to change hearts and minds, you've got to play on the ground on which they're playing. You, it's hard to drag people over to your arena and then convert them. You've got to understand, like that's that's kind of when when we talk about lockdowns here, we talk about um, you know the pandemic. We have a much different approach than a lot of other people because the the polling in March was ninety percent pro lockdown, and so running Leroy Jenkins style right into a ninety percent approval issue and telling everybody how stupid they are is not necessarily going to persuade them. But if you can start planting the seeds of government intervention, seeds, resentment, it doesn't work. It's going to make the pandemic worse. The lockdowns are not going to work. Just watch. Just watch. Just watch. Eventually, the your timing will match up with your message, and people now are kind of going, I have some of the most liberal friends who are going, the lockdowns didn't work, and I'm not willing to stop going to the gym. I'm an adult. I can make decisions for myself. And they go... Tell me more about this libertarian stuff because you were right in March. You know, you've got to play. You've got to play on the field in which they're at and and bring them over eventually. I had had a great uh, listen the other day. uh, One of the podcasts I do listen to other than obviously this one is uh, Left, Right, and Center. Mm -hmm. Right. So they do a good job, Left, Right, Center stuff. So they were talking about if Biden wins, how's he going to unite the United States? How's he going to unite Americans? Because that's. One of his campaign things is that he wants to be a uniter. He wants to bring people back together. So somebody asked him how that was going to happen. And the and the guy starts going on to a, a little bit of a diatribe about, well, he could do this and he can do that, blah, blah, blah. And he says, but really what he's going to have to do is start letting people know who are scared that he's going to do something they don't want, that he's going to let them live their lives as they want as long as they're not hurting anybody else. <laughs> right. And I'm like, that's libertarianism. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, Paul Krugman, did you see the Paul Krugman article? Let me let me pull this up because I did not. It, oh, 
libertarians are getting blamed for everything right now. It is so funny how we are, we are like the, uh, we we are the boogeyman. We like libertarians simultaneously have no power. You you apparently can't win elections. You're all just completely uh and incompetent and and impotent, and you have no power. But then you get when libertarianism goes bad by Paul Krugman. Liberty doesn't mean freedom to infect other people. And then it's basically talking about how Ayn Rand and libertarians are responsible for the death of millions and millions and millions of people. And this has been my argument as to why letting libertarians ceding the ground of uh, COVID spokesmanship to the president of the United States, the current one, is a bad idea because all of a sudden do-nothingness is equated with libertarianism, which is not necessarily the truth. Libertarians believe in personal responsibility and caring for their family and their communities. And they're not Donald Trump whipping off a mask, screaming in your face, I'm, I don't care about your property rights, small business owner. I'm coming in here without a mask. Move on over, buddy. Like, it, it, that, that's not libertarianism, but it's, it's a convenient way to link people to the irresponsible Donald Trump. Like, I mean, Paul Krugman, though, is there's a whole podcast called Contra Krugman by Tom Woods and uh, Bob Murphy, where they used to, they're, they're for, unfortunately retired. I wish they'd come out of retirement for one extra episode on this, because this was really a doozy of an article. Uh, you know, we're either simultaneously mass murdering our fellow citizens with the ideas of freedom, or we are completely, we can't vote for you because you can't win. It doesn't make any sense to me. Let me get the, the bowl of beefaroni out of here. You're, you're muted here. Another person who does that is uh, Rob Rice, right? So he, um, what frustrates me about him is this, and, and a lot of people on the left is that a lot of times they come up and say, this is a problem. These things are problems. And libertarians go, yes, they are. It's, it's exactly what we say is the problems are too. And then they go, and we to fix it, we need to have more of the problem. <laughs> right, right. It's like, no, you completely missed the point. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it gets so frustrating because I feel like we're so close to just saying, you get it, but you're getting the answer wrong. You're getting the solution wrong. Try, it's not been working so far. Let's try something else. Let's try um, really attacking what the real problem is at the base level, and that's power. And they just think that we just need the right people in power. And it's like, no, that's not how it works because there are no right people in power. There are no angels among men who can lead us. It's just silly. Yeah, it's Hayek's knowledge problem. There is no no one who can handle the the state. Uh, The Bullfrog 89 says, I could definitely be more tactful with my libertarian presentation, LOL. Uh, We all could. Everybody here. Um. So let's talk a little bit about um, – I always appreciate when Darla stops by, but you – because she's like – she, I assume she's a she. I apologize for assuming your gender. You know, Trump – Reinhold has Trump derangement syndrome. Um, get ready for more wars with Biden. Jorgensen ran a depressingly bad campaign. I swear – we know you're part of the Eeyore caucus, like <laughs> the uh, boomer caucus that is always upset with everybody and wave, wagging your fist. But I appreciate that you listen because it, it, it always is a nice little extra balance of the comments. Make sure you watch us on YouTube, check and, and follow us on Facebook and YouTube so you can find out when we're there. Um, but we always appreciate it. So 
let's jump into another great news uh, site that you can take a look at. It is called, oh, Ideological Origins with Chris Spangle at chrisspangle.com. Not that one. But Axios is like, there's this guy. His name is Mike Allen. He worked for a, a publication called Politico, which is the gold standard of political journalism. That's what all the swamp monsters read and take very seriously. And they have something called the Playbook, and it's an email newsletter with all the gossip in in it. And uh, he used to run it. He ran it forever, and he's like, he's up there with one of those like Jonathan Swan now. Where if if it's going to be leaked, it's going to be at J J Jonathan Martin at the New York Times or Mike Allen at Axios. Um, so if you want to know what they're talking about, this is usually the place to go. And Jim Vandehei on this website kind of wrote a nice little summation of things that you can do to stay calm. And I think there are a lot of people who might need some of this information as we look ahead as to how we ought to approach the next few days. If you are not experienced in watching elections, and even if you are, some of this may be a good refresher on some of this information. So, I think the the main thing that we can all do to help each other is to not, like, spread BS, read the link before you click it, you know, don't, just chill out. Like he says here, vote and chill. (laughs) Just vote and chill. You know, don't make any hot takes, wild predictions. There's no chance that you have even a clue who wins until Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina are counted and reported. So the first... Well, the first polls that close are here in Indiana and Kentucky at 6 p.m. And Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina will be one of the first states. I remember at 9 at 930 in 2016 when North Carolina was called for Trump, that's when we knew he was going to win, and I started laughing. It was like, ah, uh, I just started laughing hysterically uh, because I knew he had won. And North Carolina was a, is a major bellwether. It is, again, another one of those swing states to watch. So... You need to wait for clear-cut results in Pennsylvania where it will take days to count all mail-in votes. We have been spoiled in this country with knowing on election night what's going to happen because we have fast systems. In all 50 states, and in one of the links, if you really want to dive into uh, where the different links are and when the polls close and how all the ballots are counted, I've got a link to that, and you can go and check out your state you know, Alabama closes at 8 Eastern. There's a Senate race there. Should be pretty fast. Alaska. all the Now, most of you are not going to jump that deep into the weeds, but it's there if you want it. So if we're waiting on one particular state, you can find that guide and check that out. And uh, it's going to – we have gotten used to uh, ballots being counted quickly. In our voter fraud episode, we showed you a little bit about how ballots are counted and how those are tabulated. So you have an understanding that some of that does go quickly, but they do need to match up different signatures. And so just be patient. There's a reason in the Constitution it was written for a, a long interregnum for there to be counting before there was a, vo- a vote, voter certification. That's going to be the case this time because with the pandemic – plus the mail problems with the post office, plus the sheer amount of voters, plus new voting systems in places by Philadelphia, there's going to be a lot of stalls or problems. I can tell you that in every single cycle that I've been a part of, there's always been one precinct that just has a machine go down, that it all falls apart. There, 
there's a chance that Pennsylvania, the main swing state that we're all going to be talking about, is ha- going to have some of those problems you saw right on the last day of voter registration in one of these states. I think it might have been New York. Uh, someone cut the single power line to the entire voter registration system, and uh, you couldn't register to vote that last day. Um, so just be patient. Like We're not going to know like we did in past results, sort of like we didn't know in 2000. And number three, brace for a possibility of a red mirage. We've talked a little bit about this, but early votes and mail-in votes state by state seem to be favoring Joe Biden. And this is not something that we are uh, in shock about because liberals tend to take COVID-19 more seriously than Republicans as evidenced by the 50,000 people that showed up to the Trump rally in Pennsylvania the other day. Uh, you know, uh, I'm more on the conservative side and I'm, you know, I'm going out and doing things, but my more liberal friends are like, I can't leave the house. Uh, you know, so I'm going to vote tomorrow. I'm going to vote in person. Uh, f- there's been a hundred million votes so far and there's going to be 50 million votes roughly tomorrow. And a lot of the people going tomorrow are going to vote for Trump. And a lot of the people that have voted are going to vote for Biden. And so there's going to be this period where it looks like Donald Trump is winning. And then as the votes are counted, it's going to to start to shift, which is why you see Donald Trump saying things like, I don't think it's fair that when we have to wait for a long period of time after the election, we're going in the night of as soon as the election is over, we're going in with our lawyers uh, let's see if I can get, uh, no, I don't, I can't get audio of it, but there's little doubt that this is kind of his plan. If you look at his, there's a scoop again on Axios the other day. Um, yesterday, president Trump has told confidants he'll declare victory on Tuesday night. If it looks like he's ahead, quote unquote, according to three sources familiar with his private comments. That's even if the electoral college outcome still hinges on a large number of uncounted votes in key States like Pennsylvania. As we talked about in that episode about the most litigated election uh, in history, Donald Trump's plan is to bank on this red mirage. He wants to uh, he wants to he wants to sow seed uh, the seeds of doubt about all this stuff. And his his plan, as kind of evidenced by uh, where was it, you know. Uh, and I can't find it now. Um, in Georgia, for instance, he is spending an inordinate amount of time campaigning in Georgia. Why? Because that's a swing state. It's very close. Everybody's talking about how close Georgia is, and it counts its ballots really early. And it can report as one of the first states. So if it looks like he wins, then he can just declare victory. So he's already kind of talking about how he's going to declare victory tomorrow no matter what happens. Because what he wants to do is create that fog that we talked about in that last episode. Uh, He wants to create confusion, sow doubt, make you think that things are not okay. When in reality, as we've talked about, voter fraud is very minuscule. He wants to sow the seeds of doubt so he has a chance to win. So they can then litigate their way into a victory. And let's say it comes down to um, where's 270 to win. Let's see if we can find one of those uh, 270 to win type maps. Let's open up uh, the 
the 2016 map here, right? So if we just take the 2016 map and we give Wisconsin to Biden, uh, oops, we give Wisconsin to Biden, oops, we give it to Michigan to Biden, uh, and was it? It's not Pennsylvania. There's there's some combination that you can you can get. 269 out of 269 uh and it looks really plausible um you know really easy for that to to happen uh so if he can let's say get pennsylvania contested and then just sue over and over and over until he gets the victory then he he's going to win that's his strategy and i just have to say reinhold like if your strategy is to sue your way into the presidency through shenanigans and limiting people's votes, like what's the point of winning the presidency if Joe Biden wins the popular vote by 5%, let's say, and you win it with 270 or 271 electoral votes, and you have won four more years, but you have completely shot the legitimacy of the entire system, you are a lame duck president, you're never going to get anything done, you're going to have Russiagate 2.0, like it does matter how you win, and I don't think they're thinking about the long term. And then the other thing is the Electoral College will be gone. Like, if you like the Electoral College, you don't want Donald Trump to do this because he's going to completely ob- obliterate that system. Well, and but you got to understand, too, what Trump is planning on doing is that he is, if he wins re-election, he's already stated that he's going to basically get out, kick out anybody who's dis- even remotely disloyal to him, Right. Fill all of his all the offices with with sycophants, and start pushing out executive order after executive order after executive order, and just daring people to stop him. And right. what are they going to do? Impeach him? They're not going to impeach him. I mean, they could impeach him, but unless the Senate votes to get him out of there, you know, that's not going to happen. So the question is, does he have enough senators in his pocket to keep that from happening? To keep the the filibuster thing from going right? So. Or you have to get, you know, it's not just a simple majority, right? So that that's his goal. He doesn't care if he destroys everything in his path in order for him to do what he wants to do. Because if he, if he succeeds in all of that and he tears everything down and he gets through his four years without getting removed from office in a, in a coup or something, he'll just stay in there. He doesn't care. He'll just keep going for another third term. Right. So uh, this is one of those 269 to 269 ties, you know, so he takes Florida, he takes Georgia, North Carolina, he takes Ohio, he takes Texas, Arizona flips blue, he takes Wisconsin, Michigan flips to Biden, Minnesota stays with Biden, and then Pennsylvania's split. That's within the realm of possibility for a 269-269 tie. And then all of a sudden, we're all waiting to figure out which set of electors is going to be seated in Pennsylvania. Uh, so there are scenarios like that that are very, uh, you know, there's a there's 50 different, uh, it's, it's more than that. It's like 64 different combinations of how we could get to 269. I don't believe that's going to happen. I'm just trying to... Uh, I just think it's interesting, well, <laughs> but I don't think that's going also, to happen, so don't freak out. It's also worse than that because according to the Constitution and Supreme Court decisions, the people who decide who the electors are are the states. 
meaning a state legislature, could say, well, we don't care what the election said. We're going to select this group of electors to send to Electoral College and certify them. It, does, it doesn't – they don't have to even care whether that person won the popular vote or not. Yeah. That's it's legally that's legally possible to do, and there's been talk about reaching out to some states that have Republican legislatures and Republican governors that are possibly you know toss up states that they can get this done in, so you can win those electoral votes. So let's continue on with things that you can do to help kind of mitigate some of the anxiety. Um, listen, don't share stuff if you don't trust the source, if you don't know the source. Don't don't overreact. I mean, just try to be be calm. You know, don't share uh, on your popular podcast two sixty nine to two sixty nine scenarios and scare all of your audience to death. Even though it's probably not going to happen. Um, expect that Donald Trump, and this is the most important thing. Like, just expect that Trump is not going to accept the results of the election. He is telling you he's not going to accept it. He has for months. He he is going to gear up all these lawyers, fight, fight, fight. But here's my thing about that. Donald Trump's thing is, the, it's in the art of the deal. Here's position B, and here's you. You go way over here to try to drag them here. He always does it. So he always says, I'm not going to the debates. So he can negotiate better terms for better debates. He always kind of goes over here. So my feeling is that if Donald Trump has a clear loss tomorrow or Wednesday, he's going to accept the results, and it's going to be fine. I, I think he is just trying to preserve a pathway for legitimate lawsuits and have his supporters support his chance, like as if they weren't going to. Uh, and he's trying to preserve that path. But I don't necessarily know that that's going to be his path because he so often tries to say one thing to drag people over here so they accept this as a better alternative than something else. So just because he's saying he's going to uh, not accept the results of the election and, and have 78 days of lawsuits and hell is going to rain down upon all of us, I do think that there is some part of him that if he loses, he's going. He's not ever going to concede. He's not ever going to say it's fair. He's not going to call Joe Biden and thank him for a great race. But he may not actually. He may just half-heartedly sue on one or two things to save face instead of just a full-on assault in multiple swing states. And part of it too is really bluster and trying to get his base out. Right? They're trying to take this from us. You know. You need to go out there and you need to show them. And the only way we can do it is to overwhelmingly win, right? So he's trying to get his base yeah. out there uh, with that rhetoric too. So, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of things he will try to do or he could try to do, but I don't think any of it's going to succeed. That's the thing is I think at some point a lot of the people in this country are just going to say, no, we've had enough. Quit. Yeah, and I uh, right, and I think that there is. Uh, I want to play this video from CNN. It's short, and I'm going to play a lot of video. Um, but I thought this was kind of an interesting thing uh, from both sides, and kind of tells you that my feeling about all this stuff is always that like what you see on TV or what you see on the extremes is the extremes. But there is a tremendous amount of Americans that I talk to. Like, I talk to a lot of Democrats. I talk to a lot of progressives. I talk to a lot of liberals because of another podcast, the Pat Down podcast I'm on. 
They're all very reasonable people. They're not for violence. They're not for looting. They're not for the, like when you hear the, the way that the right talks about the left, it does not jive with the majority of the left that I talk to. When you are with the left, it does not jive with the majority of the right that I talk to thanks to this podcast. Like there's a fundamental misunderstanding of, of each side right now. And that is not uncommon. It's just that it seems extraordinarily more dangerous right now because of the year that we've had. But when you watch this piece, There's rational thought in here, and I want everybody to see it out of their mouths from both sides because not everybody is mouth-foaming crazy. Regardless of who wins, it's going to be questionable. Will you accept the results, whatever the result may be? Yeah, it's America. you got to accept the results, whatever they may be. And Donald Trump will, too. You think he will? 100% he will. President Trump keeps claiming that the election is going to be rigged and that Democrats are going to cheat. We've come to Wisconsin to a Trump rally to ask Trump supporters what they think of it all. Trump keeps saying it's going to be a rigged election. Do you think it's going to be rigged? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because that's the only way that they could win. Will you accept the result of the election? Medical is democratic. (laughs) Really, though? I would not be very happy with it. If Biden were to win, I think that you'll see an uprising. Because, you know, the silent majority, I, I just think that we're not going to stand for it. We have the right to, you know, kick our government out if we if we don't like it. And I think there's plenty of people that would, would get together and do that. Like I said, so, some of this is rational, but not all of it. You want to be there. You know, these ballots, you see, was I right about the ballots? It's messed up like you wouldn't believe. You know what happens while they're counting them? They're dumping more ballots in there, okay? Where they? Where did they come from? Cases of voter fraud in the United States are extremely, extremely is that me? rare. Trump, of course, is trying to build up a picture that something is going very wrong at a fundamental scale. I don't think it's going to be an issue in Wisconsin. Most people we spoke to at the rally said they would accept the result of the election even if Trump loses, and they think Trump will too. If Biden wins, yeah, we're not going to be out riding in the streets like other people do because we don't get our own way. We can be disappointed, and and then you go on. There will be a peaceful uh, transition. I think if Trump loses, that will happen by Inauguration Day. If Biden loses, I highly doubt it. You don't think the Democrats will accept that? No, they won't accept it. Their fear is if Trump wins, the other side won't concede. My wife and I both are afraid of violence may appear. And if violence appears, it's un-American. You want my honest opinion? Sure, absolutely. A Trump win, in my opinion, is going to start up the same thing we've seen with George Floyd and our country burn. If Trump were to win? Yeah, I do. Because there's a lot of hate out there. We have to accept what the majority of the public wants. 1,000 miles away at a Biden event in Georgia on the same day. Unfortunately, I don't feel secure about what the election results will be. A similar fear exists of the other side. He's called into question the American voting system so that all Americans are now uncertain about our voting process. And Trump has really laid the groundwork so that we would doubt the results should he lose. I am fearful that he will not accept the outcome of the election. No, no. 
there are a lot of like militia type pages going up and people threatening you know that if Joe Biden wins they're gonna bring up arms and it's it's scary this is the closest I think in my lifetime I've ever felt like that we could actually go to civil war I mean it's frightening I think it's gonna be a very interesting process after November 3rd I mean, what's your reaction to that, Reinhold? I think everybody done lost their minds um, and have no context for history for for the most part because it, it just seems like we've been down this road so many times before where there was probably more rationale for there to be riots in the streets after an election, and it didn't happen. There weren't any riots in 2016 after that election, and Hillary could have probably um, demanded recounts in Pennsylvania and, and Wisconsin and Michigan, but she didn't. She just accepted it, and they went on. You know, I mean, with with Bush and Gore, that was an interesting back and forth because it was very questionable, and you know, there were a lot of hijinks that were going on during that time. Uh, hanging Chad became a very well-known phrase because of that moment in time. Um, but there was nobody rioting in the streets then. I don't see why th- this mythology has been built up that there's just going to be some sort of <laughs> mythology. <civil> war. <laughs> All right. Mythology is a strong word. I mean, there is, uh, like, I don't think that the Trump White House is putting up non-scalable fences and downtown business owners here in Indianapolis are boarding up their shops because of Trump supporters or libertarians. Like, I mean, we have a demonstrable uh, summer of unrest with billions of dollars worth of property damage based on rioters, you know, that are right. that coalition. But those rioters with, weren't about an election. It I, was but about I don't 20 I, to 30 years of. I don't I listen I get it but I also there's part of me that thinks that the boarding up is kind of a self-fulfilling thing like if you board it up they will come Uh, but I'm I'm not going to fault those business owners for wanting to protect their themselves but I think the guy who says I think the multiple conservatives in there who say the left isn't going to accept a Trump win I agree with that I don't think that Hillary Clinton ever fully accepted a Trump win. They never let Donald Trump govern. Now, can he govern? And, and, no. And but I, and I they never let him you try. Talk with Rob. I, I listen to you talk. Listen to you talk to Rob about this too, this mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, and yeah, they didn't like him being president, and they were trying to get him out from the day he was in. So did the Republicans when Obama won. Sure, it's not yeah. anything new. I mean, everybody's talking about how Trump is being treated so badly. He's being treated like every other president before him. Remember when Bush was elected? He wasn't a he wasn't a, you know the so, real president for years. So they your argument is the fact. is more that he is he's more uh, whiny about it. <laughs> yes, he's he uses it for effect. He uses it to get people to to. Um, dislike the other side to rally behind him to see him as some sort of uh, messianic type of figure you know i mean maybe maybe it's not a word people want me to say right now but that's kind of what he's trying to do he's trying to put himself up above just regular humanity and you know the most persecuted person i've done the most for black people in the history of the country i'm like you know i i've, I've been treated horribly and 
and and the funniest part is that he was the one that was treating Barack Obama so bad with with what he was doing with the uh, the birth certificate he, thing for years. Yeah, there is. So here's my. I mean, we haven't done our Hunter Biden episode yet because I just can't, and uh, we. <laughs> I was just like, I don't care, um, but. You know, the, we are going to do it because here's the reality of the star investigation into Bill Clinton. It, they, they developed a lot of tactics that were unfair to Bill Clinton. He felt that they were very unfair. He was the victim. They were the victim of the right, vast right-wing conspiracy. Lanny Davis, Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, all of these people are on Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016. And then when she loses and Trump wins, they use, with their allies in the Congress, the exact same tactics as the Starr investigation used to undermine that presidency. The Republicans undermined Clinton's presidency. The Democrats undermined Trump's presidency. And the Ukraine stuff is now being set up to undermine the early days of Joe Biden's presidency. And the people who really did care about uh, Donald Trump never getting a chance to govern, and it's non- it's unfair, and they shouldn't have done that, are not going to recognize that the principle is not wrong, and they shouldn't do it, and let's de-escalate. They're going to go, yeah, get him, he's corrupt, whatever we can do to delegitimize Joe Biden's. And that that's like a, a, a great example of each of these different sides, all these different sides, and libertarians, you're not immune because you've picked sides in this election more than I've ever seen any, any cycle. It's crazy. How many people are picking that a little bit too. All right. Well, save it for the end, but there is, you know, you can choose to de-escalate. Like you can choose not to, uh, to, to continually escalate this problem. And if you find a principle to be abhorrent and the other side side shouldn't do it, you can say, I'm not going to engage in what about ism and do that thing that violates that principle instead of just excusing it by saying, well, the other side does it, so we can do it too. But nobody's going to listen to us. Uh, they're going to do whatever they do. Um, so let's see. Uh, Darla says, remember that decency is on the ballot. Also remember to board up your stores in case the party of decency doesn't get their way. I, I, I'm not, I, I, Trump is decency? I, no, no, no. He's saying, what she's saying. he or she. Uh, no. Darla, please, uh, I apologize for misgendering you. Um, no, what Darla is saying is decency is on the ballot. Board up your stores in case the party of decency doesn't get their way. Darla is equating Joe Biden with Antifa. And they're, listen, they're not like Joe Biden has come out. If, you, if you're going to make the argument, well, Donald Trump has disavowed white supremacy Joe Biden's disavowed Antifa. So if a disavowalment is good in one case, it's got to be good in, in both of those, right? Um, if we're going to be consistent. So let's – and Brian is exactly right. The 1% on the left and the 1% on the right are looking for a fight. I don't even think it's that high. I think the majority of us are being held prisoner by a very small amount of people on each side. The, the problem is that there is a small amount of people who are in, in, in interested in violence. It's – there's too big of a percentage of the people on their side that coalition with them that are willing to excuse that violence, including libertarians who believe in not initiating violence to solve social or political goals. 
Violence of any type must be disavowed because it is immoral. It doesn't matter if it's your kind of violence or their kind of violence. It must be disavowed. It is wrong when a group of Trump supporters try to surround and push a Biden bus off the road. It's wrong when Donald Trump tweets support for that, essentially, and tweets out the video. That stuff's wrong. It's wrong when people loot and and destroy property. It's wrong. Like, you, you have to be against violence, even if it's inconvenient for your side to say so. Uh, let's dive into the numbers on this election. Let's talk a little bit about polling. Um, this is going to be tomorrow's email at chrisspangle.com. Sign up there now. I am uh, doing a lot more writing uh, at chrisspangle.substack.com. And uh, you can get the emails. I'd appreciate it uh, if you go check that out. Patrons get a lifetime subscription to the website. Um, let's talk about polls. Uh, this is a great from a great PDF that I got. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use it, but I'm using it anyways. From Melman Castanetti, Rosen, and Thomas. I was sent it to it by a friend. Uh, who are there sh- shy Trump voters? Reinhold, do you trust polls? Like, we're going to go through a lot of different polls, and I want to just address that question first and foremost. Do you trust the polls? I trust them, but I also understand what they're saying, and I'm not making assumptions on what they're saying based off of what I want to hear. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, when, when somebody says, we have a margin of error of 3%, and they come within a half a percent of being right, that's not a failure. When they say that Trump has a one in six chance of winning the election and then Trump wins the election, that's not a failure. That's within the polling of what they were doing. That was a possibility. So that's where I get a little confused about the people who don't trust polling is that I think that they're looking for somebody to say, well, they said that Trump would win, Trump or Trump would lose, Trump won, therefore they were wrong. And they weren't wrong. Somebody misinterpreted what they were saying. Yeah, so the problem with the with 2016, um, and believe me, I am very upset that Jonah Goldberg linked Paul Ogden in one of his newsletters. Uh, Paul Ogden is a local, not a bad guy, um, just like an independent blogger here, and he wrote an article about how uh, the polls were were off, but not by that much. And so what he talks about in this article that he put together, and he's totally right, um, is talking about the polling averages in 2016. This is what has everybody traumatized. Uh, he writes, first, the polls in 2016 were not way off as is claimed. Nationally, real, real clear politics polling average showed Hillary Clinton would win the popular vote by 3.3%. She won by 2.1%. That's not off much and certainly does not reflect much of a shy Trump voter effect in 2016. Uh, So, you know, that's within the margin of error. That 3.3% is what, you know, versus 2.1%. Of course, he writes, presidential elections are decided on a state-by-state basis. Looking at the RCP polling averages, I am only aware of three states where the candidate who won on election day did not have a lead in the RCP polling average in that particular state, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, Trump won by 0.7%. E- 
even though Hillary Clinton was leading by 6.5% in the polling average in that state, Pennsylvania had a 2.1. So in 2016, Wisconsin, the polling average in RCP was 6.5%. Trump won by 0.7. Pennsylvania, Clinton was up by 2.1%. Trump won by 0.7. In Michigan, Clinton won, Clinton was up 3.6. Trump won by 0.3%. So pollsters picked right in 47 of 50 states, and they missed those 78,000 voters that gave Trump that victory. That's because they didn't properly poll the white working class. And as you'll see in a, in a chart in a moment, it's, it's ridiculously large uh, in some of these uh, Rust Belt states. And so you need, or the upper Midwest Great Lakes states, I should say, uh, is that the Rust Belt? I always get that confused. Rust Belt, Sun Belt, too many belts. Um, but basically wherever the Big Ten is. So uh, so Democrats stayed home because they didn't like Hillary Clinton. And so that's a big reason why the polls were off. But again, let's look at this chart here uh, from Cloud Research. A share of voters who say they are hesitant to share their true opinions when they are polled by phone. Republicans, 11.7% say they are unwilling to share their thoughts. Independents, 10.5%. Democrats, 5.4%. So you, you, should, you should account for that, right? Pollsters do. They add that in. They know whether or not there's some shy Trump voters. Is polling an exact science? Absolutely not. You're polling 600 to 1,200 people. You're doing it through a mixture of methods, be it cell phones, landlines. Some include an online portion, which is a little more makes it a little more ineffective. Um, there's multiple ways to do a poll. There's multiple ways to weight it based on the demographics of the likely voters uh, versus the likely voters that you talk to. The greater the turnout in vote the more accurate polling becomes because there's a larger percentage. It's, it's like some, like I, we, we should get a statistical person on before the next round of polling to, to kind of break all this down. So, and that leads to this question. Is there an underpolled hidden group of people that nobody's looked at yet? Well, not that anybody can find it before. So the the um, the commentary podcast went back to their pre twenty sixteen podcast where they did predictions and they listened back to it and played some chunks. I'll throw it in the show notes, and it's really interesting because they talked about how the pollsters were freaking out that they had spent an entire election season missing an entire segment of people that were starting to pop up in congressional polling, and what you see in. Um, congressional polling is you get a lot more granular uh, than in other places. In congressional polling, for instance, so David Wasserman is a uh, a district. He works for Cook Political Report, which like Cook Political Report, Nathan Gonzalez and his report, Five Thirty Eight Politico, Larry Sabato and uh, his group. Like these are kind of the top people that do all the forecasting for the House, the Senate, and the presidency uh, that kind of put together all the polls and tell you what's going on. In 2016, on November 3rd, Dave Wasserman, who studies House polls across the country, says 
Five days from election day, it's clear who has the momentum, and it's not Hillary Clinton. This thing is close. He retweeted or he retweeted it on, on October 29th of this year and said, five days from election day, it's clear who's the favorite, and it's not Donald Trump. Well, he's just a liberal pollster. He's just part of the liberal media. Well, the guy told you that Donald Trump was probably going to win in 2016 and was showing you that you, you could see certain things if you looked in the right places. Uh, let's look at this map in Texas. Uh, and you can watch the video of all this. We're putting it up on the video screen, or you can look in the show notes for the, the post uh, that is coming out on November 3rd from me with all of this information in it. Well, this chart shows you in the green new registrations in blue areas. So above 100%. So all this area around Dallas and Houston and Austin and San Antonio, all that green, that's 105% more registrations than last time. 110, 120%, 130% more registrations than last time. That tells you that those blue areas of Texas have 130% more voters. That's why Texas is competitive because of Austin and Dallas and Houston and San Antonio. And so when you drill down into these congressional districts, you start to see data that you wouldn't find anywhere else that helps both candidates. So, for instance, this map of Florida, you start to see Hispanic turnout looks really good and is up 6% for Donald Trump in Florida in 2020 over 2016. So add that into your picks. You've got to add all this stuff in when you start looking and diving deep into the data. And so... Can you trust polling this time? I don't know. Reinhold doesn't know, and none of these people seem to know. Nobody really knows, and nobody really wants to say. Everybody's being very cautious because nobody wants to be caught out on a ledge. I tend to think that there are two fundamental questions to this race that are going to be answered. The first is, can you handle four more years of Donald Trump? Are you going to walk into that and go, I'm excited for four more years of Donald Trump? You know, you, uh, Reinhold and I are not. <laughs> like, if he wins, listen, it's going to be fine. Uh, business will be good, just like the last four years has been good. It will be much more stressful, uh, you know, because of the command climate that he seems to bring. I think he's a very problematic human being. But I also think Joe Biden will be a terrible president. You know, he is pro-war. He is the alignment of elite media, elite financial sectors, elite government sectors, the military, like all aligning behind one guy is not going to be good for us either. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really agnostic. I'm voting for Joe Jorgensen tomorrow. I assume Reinhold, you are as well. Yes, I am. Okay. So we're Jorgensen voters. um, Despite Darla's screaming that Reinhold has TDS. Uh, we, we try to, uh, to be fair here. And so when I look through this, but I think the central question, when you really reach out and talk to people across the spectrum, even on the right, it is, do I really want four more years of this guy? And I think that's why his, his, um, polling, the the number one metric on presidential reelects is approval rating. So a president's approval rating tends to tell you how they're going to do in reelection. And Trump has been steady at 43%, which means 57% of the country doesn't think he's doing a good job. 
And so when you look at presidential approval, you look at George H.W. Bush in 92, he was at 35% approval. Jimmy Carter was at 34% approval. Well, George H.W. got 34 in the, uh, so, oh, excuse me. You know, he was at 35, 34%. Donald Trump is at 43. Uh, Barack Obama, 47.8. W. Bush, 50 uh, in 2004. 54 for Reagan. 59 or 57 almost for Bill Clinton. You really four turned into a, a landslide. I mean, we're yes. not talking like what they're saying landslides are nowadays. I think there was what one state. I think only Mondale won Mondale. his state in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Um, Reagan won forty nine states. I think it was. Uh, yeah. So th- Trump is the magic number is forty four. For whatever mathematical reason, I heard somebody explain on a podcast that I cannot repeat to you because I didn't take notes on it. Um, forty four was like the magic number that once you get to that point, you've reached a a um a plurality of people that makes it possible and so he is right there at 43 44% which makes it possible um the the second question that i think is going to be central to this election that motivates both sides differently um is the the coronavirus the pandemic um i I think Iowa swinging seven points, for instance, is because people are scared of more lockdowns. I think if you really sat down and talked to your Democrat friends, the majority of them would tell you, I'm for personal responsibility. I just want everybody else to be personally responsible, too. I just want them to take my life as seriously as they take their as I take my life, even though they don't take their own like. They don't want Donald Trump not missing a beat because his buddy Herman Cain died and then ripping off his mask and holding 50,000 person rallies like they they tend to look at Donald Trump's handling of this poorly. And I think people on the right and libertarians tend to look at it as if, well, our liberal friends want more lockdowns. And they are, are thirsty for it. They they want Joe Biden so he can lock it down. I don't think that that's the case. And and almost everybody that I talk to, they're not for more government intervention. They're just for somebody like start acting right. Please just take this seriously. Quit pretending it's not real. I want to go back to my real life, and we can't do that till you people get yourselves under control. You know. And I don't think that there is as much of a desire for lockdowns as we tend to think. Now, what does the polling say? Depends on which polling you look at, because according to some, you know, nearly 60 percent of likely voters, including 70 percent of undecideds, believe the U.S. shouldn't lock down again. Then you go to a different poll, a Harris poll Um, in Arizona, 87 percent are concerned about a new wave of outbreaks and 76 percent said they support another lockdown. I tend to think that this is kind of that shy Trump voter thing where people tell pollsters what they think they ought to say as opposed to what they really believe, which they will tell you their friend. Uh, So I don't think that people are eager for lockdowns. How can I back that up with data, right? Because I'm making a claim that some of you may just say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Let me go to the Indiana polls. Okay, so uh, there was a poll done that I can tell you is accurate and Uh, I think that there is a, uh, I think Whitmer-style, Newsom-style lockdowns severely hurt Democratic candidates. And I think some of these governors who think that they're doing the right thing because they're looking at those polls 
are in real trouble when they're up for re-election. And Indiana is a bellwether for that because we've got a competitive race for governor here because of a libertarian named Donald Rainwater and a Woody Myers, a Dr. Woody Myers medical doctor who is advocating for a Whitmer-like lockdown. Rainwater is advocating removing all lockdowns completely and going with personal responsibility. Holcomb, the Republican, is somewhere in between. Well, look at these numbers. So over here on the right, you've got Donald Trump with 48% in Indiana, by the way. That's a pretty soft number. 7% undecided, 5% for Jorgensen, 40% for Biden. Okay, now let's take that over. Donald Trump, 48% to Eric Holcomb at 52%. When the Libertarian vote for Jorgensen goes from 5% to Rainwater at 14%, how is it that the Republican loses nearly 10% of his base and beats Donald Trump by nearly four points? That's because the Joe Biden number at 40% goes down to 26% for Woody Myers. And then all those Democrats are flooding up. He's getting a 14-point bump in Democrats because they don't want Rainwater's solution, which is nothing in their minds, right? It's not his solution, but in their minds, it's nothing. They want the middle way. They want the Indiana-style lockdown where here in Indiana, we pretty much are back to normal. We have our normal life, and we don't have the outbreaks that a lot of uh, like North Dakota or some of those places have. So my gut tells me that there are a lot of Democrats that are not for Newsom-style lockdowns, and some of these governors are going to be in real trouble. Um, But at the same time, they're not for Donald Trump's solution, which is the bravado of ripping off the mask and holding these rallies. And there's actually poll numbers that when he goes in to do these rallies, it turns the votes against him. A survey in six battleground states show that Trump's voters see Trump less favorably by a two-to-one margin because of the rallies he's held in the midst of the coronavirus uh, pandemic. He's losing not just independents and Democrats when he comes in a place and does these rallies. He's losing his own base. Why? You're going to tell me that I can't go to my grandfather's funeral? I can't go to work? I can't cough at Thanksgiving? And you mother, you mother effers are going to have a 50,000-person rally? Who do you think you are? So I don't think that he is employing a winning strategy in these closing days of doing these rallies like a lot of his supporters. And then there's the, the Trump train, 70-minute-long parade around 465 here, there's accidents. Uh, people are late for work because they're going 40 miles an hour on the interstate, honking with Trump flags, closing down bridges across the country. Like, annoy me one last time. Thanks for reminding me why you're inconveniencing me with your drama. I just don't, like, I don't understand any of the logic to annoying a voter. There's nothing that voters like more and respond to for your candidate like gridlock. Everybody loves traffic, Reinhold. So, oh yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah. the The reality is that both sides are kind of playing the pandemic wrong and missing the middle way on the lockdowns, and they're totally misjudging where the public is at because they're going to the extremes on this. And everybody just wants everybody to take this seriously, act responsibly. 
and let's just get through this. Let's get it over with. Let's move on. But, like, don't lock me down. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. Don't tell me I can't go to the gym. But, like, also be a good, like, be a good leader. <laughs> like, be a good example. Be a good role model, Reinhold. Right. And what Trump has done is basically tried to play both sides. Not, like, in a kind of sitting on the fence and touching feet in both sides of the of the ocean type thing. Uh but he's full deep in one side and full deep in the other side. He's telling them that this is a hoax and it's going to go away as soon as Biden gets elected. And this is why it's out there. And then he goes and says, I'm here are the standards Fauci. that people should use. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here are the, here are the people, the standards that you should use for when you, when you decide to lock down States. Uh, I, I have the power to do it myself and I'm thinking about doing it. Uh, when he gets in the debates, he's talking about, yeah, we should all be wearing masks and we all should be doing social distancing. And that's how we're going to beat this. And, and saying all the right things there, but when he's talking to his supporters on the other side, he's telling a whole different story. Yeah. There's two Trumps. <clears throat> yeah, and there always will be, and there always is. Um, so when you look at a Fox News poll, which I found this kind of surprising, uh, when asked what should the federal government's top priority, voters are 25 points more likely to rank limiting the spread of coronavirus over restarting the economy, 61 to 36%. Uh, when you go to uh, this chart, what do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? 25% say government, poor leadership. 25% say coronavirus. 13% say race relations. 8% say crime. 6% say unifying the country. Number five, 5% say economy in general. Uh, you know, all the, th you know, then ethics, morals, religious, family decline, judicial system, healthcare, unemployment, gap between rich and poor, climate change, and the media. Donald Trump's closing message is, the media is so unfair to me. I'm going to fire Fauci. You know, I, <laughs> I have no plan for healthcare. I'm not going to unify the country. I'm going to keep playing to my base. Like, he's doing and saying everything wrong in terms of what voters want. And this is from the right. Gallup poll. So the Gallup, the Gallup folks do one major poll right before the election, and it's kind of the gold standard with a ton of different data. And I would have put economic issues as the top issue, but I think most people recognize that getting control of the virus is an economic issue. It's what I said in April, is that if you have an out-of-control virus, it is an economic issue. So voluntarily lock down. Because if we stop the spread now, we're Germany, and you don't have a summer like we've had with 230,000 deaths. If we all choose to do the right thing, most people chose because the government told them what to do. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to do like we sort of we sort of blew the message and tied ourselves to the Trump message, and he's giving us what he thinks we want. And I just don't think that that is the right way. I think I think uh, by March. It's going to be very evident to everybody that this virus is real and serious and not just the flu, and the way to handle it cannot be solved by the government. It can only be solved by people making good decisions for themselves because they're accepting the information about the virus and, and coordinating their behavior along with their loved ones, their family members, and their jobs. Like that's the only way to get a hold of it. Like Anybody who thinks that you can implement a lockdown and you can use laws to force people to do anything, you're an idiot. Like, you just don't know what you're talking about. The lockdowns didn't work through the summer. 
If anything, you know what they did is they created a counter reaction to it and people rejected anything that a Fauci says because they view him as as the the bringer of misery. Uh, you know, and so we're we're really in what a free market president can and should do is be a good example, decentralize testing, get things through the FDA quickly, and make sure the CDC is giving accurate information, and then get out of the way. <laughs> like, yep. don't come in here. You can't do a federal mask mandate. That's never going to fly in the courts. It's not going to happen. All you can do is be a good example. You know. And so what Donald I mean, Trump's what Donald Trump has done has been be a horrible example. Limit testing to just the FDA and CDC. Fudge the numbers at the CDC so nobody trusts the numbers coming out of them. And uh, and just in general being a complete disaster in terms of his response to it. And and so he's doing the opposite of anything that's effective. And I think that's why that's really going to hurt him. And so the numbers of 56% of people saying they're better off than they were four years ago, that's not going to matter because they're worried about the next four years. Right. And that was when we were having a conversation um, with Lions of Liberty and how he was mentioning the soft, the quiet or the shy Trump voter, that he sees that in that 60 percent of the people say that they're better off than they were four years ago. But the other side of the coin is, is that when you ask the question, is the country on the right track? Sixty five percent say no, it's on the wrong track. Right. So that's where that leadership failure comes into play where people are like, yeah, I'm not doing, I'm doing kind of better than I was, but I don't like anything that's going on to get us here. I don't like anything that's happening and I want that to stop. Right. And there's, you know, I call Trump exhaustion syndrome, but um, people are just kind of tired there. But what was interesting to me was watching. So Trump goes through the, the impeachment. 60% of the people wanted him removed from office. He was able to, make that not happen. He stayed in office. Um, and his, his poll numbers weren't that great at that point. Uh, the economy was starting to soften. We were starting to see cracks in, in, in the economy that could lead to a possible recession because it's coming up on a, an election year. And that usually happens at that time. Uh, and then the virus hit and, Initially, he started off really strong. He came out. He was doing those daily briefings. It looked like he was going to take charge and and be a good leader. And his poll numbers started to increase. Like right April time frame, beginning of May. You know, that, that that's when his highest numbers of approval were. And then he kept going to those press conferences and starting to go further and further unhinged during them. And people started going, this isn't, no, this is wrong. He's not doing a good job. You know, his, then his numbers started to tank after that. So it's almost like if he had shown that he was going to be a good leader and then stepped back out of the way and occasionally made an appearance, put all his faith in the people that was, that he had appointed to take care of things and things were successful and testing was getting done and, and all the things that should have happened were happening. He'd probably be being reelected right now. Yeah. Thank you for monologuing. I had to use the little boys' room. <laughs> um, no so uh, on the better handling of coronavirus, uh, Biden leads Trump consistently through September 
through uh, October by 15 to 20 different points. So not looking good. So now let's so now that we've kind of is polling worth it? Uh, and on the so on the two central questions, really, at the end of the day, Donald Trump loses those two central questions. Can you handle four more years of Trump? Right now, his closing message is, I'm going to, uh, like, in, uh, here's the thing. In 2016, Donald Trump said, I'm going to give you a wall. I'm going to give you justices. I'm going to make the left cry. I'm going to fight the media. I'm going to finally stick up for you. Nobody's ever sticked up in the way that nobody's ever stuck up for you. I'm going to give you these things. If you're a salesman, you need to sell something, right? You need to connect with people. What has Donald Trump been selling? We're going to fight with Leslie Stahl. I'm going to give up on the coronavirus. I'm going to I'm going to fight with Fauci. I'm going to like it's just one personal beef after another. There's not really much there. Like and so on that question, he's not winning that question. On the second question, he's not winning who will do better on the pandemic. And yes, do I think that Joe Biden is the pro lockdown candidate? I do. I, and that is a motivator for people center right. I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because he's the pro lockdown candidate. Center left, I'm going to vote for Biden because Donald Trump is the pro herd immunity, let out everybody die candidate, right? That that percentage in the middle, where do those independents go? And if you look at that Indiana race, yes, there is a ticked off enough percentage that will go to the libertarian, the anti-lockdown candidate, but there is a majority that will go with the middle-of-the-road candidate over the two extreme candidates and uh, give him a majority, whereas Donald Trump is only winning a plurality, which is under 50% of voters here in Indiana. Okay, so what is the good and bad? What are the good and bad points for Donald Trump and for Joe Biden once you kind of run, get down into the weeds here? Okay, so good for Biden. He's not Hillary Clinton. <laughs> uh, cannot understate that enough. So when you actually break down and get into this, um, you know, white, the demographics, 21-point improvement over Clinton in white men with no college, two-point advantage with women with no college, 13-point advantage over Clinton in whites, 16-point advantage in men, in suburbanites, 16 points over Clinton, over 65, plus 7, white men with college, up 26, white women with college, up 21, women, up 3. So, you know, he is not Hillary Clinton. He has a 53% favorable, whereas Hillary had a 43%, a 46% unfavorable. And so he's much, he's much more liked than Hillary Clinton. That cannot be understated because people stayed home allowing Donald Trump to get those extra 77,000 votes. All right, so that that is relevant information. Uh, now, Biden won those first two questions. He's winning the fact that he's winning all these extra turnouts and all these votes in terms of third-party vote. He is getting a lot of those. I have not added this into my little thingy yet here. But when you go to third-party voters, um, Joe Biden leads the president by 32 points among likely voters who supported, quote, someone else in 2016. So I think uh, let's kind of say where people will settle. I think I think Jorgensen is going to be around two percent. Um, we'll we'll kind of talk about why that is, and 
that extra point from uh, Jill Stein and Gary Johnson and that one CIA uh, spook is going to uh, 60, 32 points more likely to go to towards Joe Biden. So those are the things for Biden that are really helping him now. But there's some silver linings for the president. He is winning in new voter registration. So since March 2020 for Florida, North Carolina, uh, Florida, Arizona, he's winning by big margins. In Florida, for instance, um, 195,000 new registrations, whereas Joe Biden in Florida had 98,000. In Pennsylvania, 135,000 new registrations versus 57,000 for Biden. Um, a 50,000 point, uh, 50,000 registration differential in North Carolina for the president. Arizona, Biden is winning a little bit there. So <clears throat> that has given some hope. All right, maybe this is some enthusiasm. Another thing that helps Trump is a bigger pool of sympathetic voters in swing states. And this is why Pennsylvania is in play. So in Michigan, there's 1.5 million non-college whites that vote. 412,000 college whites and 64,000 non-whites. So that non-college white that prefers Trump often dwarfs the other two categories. And this is if you want to tune in an hour, 39 minutes to kind of see these charts that will help uh, on the YouTube video that's in the show notes. The biggest one is 2.2 million in Pennsylvania versus for non-college whites. Uh, college whites, 600,000, 695,000 non-white voters. All right, so you say, all right, well, that's an advantage, right? Because he's got those that, that bigger pool that is, has a natural affinity for Donald Trump. That's a positive, if he can if he can convince those people in the closing days in Pennsylvania there have already been 2 million people that have voted but it is a slimmer percentage of the total vote that will turn out versus other states the reality is that in Michigan Minnesota Wisconsin those states are probably already lost for him Pennsylvania he has a shot and that's because fewer people have already voted and are more people are going to vote tomorrow in Pennsylvania. Um, now, not all of those non-college whites are going to vote for him. In Pennsylvania, so his margins with white voters have shrunk. Like there was a CNN poll, I'm going off of memory, that in 2016 Donald Trump carried white voters by 20 points over Clinton and he is only carrying them by two points this time, uh, which is a big gap. In Pennsylvania specifically, Biden has 46% of white voter support and Trump has 45 A tremendous erosion for the president since he had 56% of the white vote and Clinton got 40 And while in 2016 Trump won non-college educated white voters in the Keystone State by a two-to-one margin, 64 to 32, his advantage is narrowing. New York Times, Siena College poll found that Trump has the backing of 52% of white voters without college degrees compared to 39% who support Biden. So he's dropped from 64 to 52% in just Pennsylvania. And if you click on that story in the show notes, uh, you're going to see that erosion is happening everywhere across the board. Um, Michigan, 
Biden is winning the white vote there, 49 to 47. Trump got 57% of the white vote. So it's gone from 57 to 47 in a drop. Uh, He's down in Wisconsin now. So North Carolina, he's down. Ohio, he's down. Donald Trump has eroded his own base because of his behavior. When he loses, that because that's what I believe is going to happen, it's because of Donald Trump, right? <laughs> like At a certain point, you're going to have to say, maybe he shouldn't have only targeted his base. He should have actually drove other people up. Now, the reason Pennsylvania is so incredibly important is because, for electoral reasons, basically if uh, it, it becomes a hard-to-win map for Biden, um, what was your forecast this morning? So we have Trump with a 10% shot and Biden with a 90% shot. Um, so 10% things. Ha- Excuse me. This is Nate Silver on uh, ABC this week get, explaining why if uh, Joe Biden will become an underdog if he loses Pennsylvania. Happen fairly often. Um, at the same time, you could have a polling air morning. So we have Trump with a 10% shot and Biden with a 90% shot. Overall. Um, so 10% things happen fairly often. Um, at the same time, you could have a polling error of the magnitude of 2016, and instead of losing all these states by a point, then Biden would win Pennsylvania by a point or two, Michigan by two or three points, Arizona by a point. So that little extra cushion, maybe people who didn't like Clinton and Trump but can tolerate Biden, might be enough, even if there is a polling miss. On the other hand, if you had a polling error like 2012... Then you could see Obama over, or rather Biden overperform, right? He might win states like Texas, for example. By the way, in, in these Hispanic rich states, Democrats have sometimes beaten their polls. It's a harder group to necessarily get on the phone. And so, so there are like lots of upside cases for Biden. And there are also cases where he wins in a squeaker. But like, but I'm sure everyone's kind of concerned about that, that 10% well, yeah, chance. Yeah, you say happen. you spend, you tweeted the other day, you spend 90% of your time thinking about that 10%. So when you, <laughs> when you think about that and you're writing the headline, writing the story on Wednesday that Donald Trump won, what would be the key factors? I think it would come down to Pennsylvania, the fact that, as Tom said, Pennsylvania has not bumped up to a seven or eight point Biden lead like we see in Michigan and Wisconsin. It's five points. It's not a big early voting state. So, a lot of- so to explain that, Trump's uh, Biden has exceeded. He has gone up in points in Wisconsin and Michigan. He has not. And nothing has changed really in Pennsylvania. He's still up by like five to seven points, depending on the poll. The votes have not yet been cast in Pennsylvania. Among the votes that were sent in by mail, there are some provisions about a naked ballot, a security envelope that can make things more complicated. You can get have the courts involved. You have some protests, looting in Philadelphia, right? There's lots of stuff going on. And maybe a lot of little things add up and Biden loses Pennsylvania by half a point, And then he doesn't quite pull off Arizona or North Carolina. I mean, he does have other options, right? I mean, North Carolina is a state where a lot of the vote is in. Um, Obama won it in 08 when it looked very similar nationally. So that could be a problem for the GOP, Arizona. But still, without Pennsylvania, then Biden becomes an underdog. Let's take a look at those options with, with Tom Yamas down there. Let's look at the path to 270, Tom. The clearest one, of course, is Joe Biden rerunning 2016, but flipping those blue states up in the northern tier. That's right. So, George, this is the map, how it ended up on election night four years ago. As you mentioned, if Joe Biden is able to flip that blue wall that collapsed four years ago, look at his election, his electoral totals there, Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania. That puts him over the top at 278. But then show what happens if Donald Trump does then take Pennsylvania. If Donald Trump was able to hold Pennsylvania and the rest of the states that he won four years ago, take a look. He's at 280. He stays president. But here's where it gets really tricky, George. If Joe Biden is able to pick off any of these southern states that Nate was just talking about, look over here under the Biden number. 
North Carolina, he gets to 273. Let's give Trump North Carolina back. If he can pick off Georgia, look at this number, 274. And, of course, if Joe Biden can pick off Florida, the largest battleground, 29 electoral votes, 287, he becomes the next president. So, essentially, the map becomes really hard. So, right now, Joe Biden is sitting in a uh, catbird seat where he can uh, pick off a lot of these different states. Um Trump needs to basically, as Amy Walter writes, uh, who is a f- election forecaster, Trump needs to win every state we currently have in the toss-up column. Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Iowa, Ohio, Maine in the second district, uh, and Texas. Even then, Trump is going to be 22 electoral votes short of 270. He would need to win at least two of the seven states currently sitting in lean Democrat. Lean Democrat. Arizona, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, New Hampshire. Trump carried all but Minnesota, Nevada, and New Hampshire in 2016. At this point, Ohio and Maine's second district are probably the most promising for Trump, followed by Texas and Iowa. If he were to win all of those, he'd be at 188, but still 82 shy of 270. Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina are pure toss-ups, with Biden ahead of anywhere from one to two points in those states. So basically, Trump has to run the table. His path to victory is much more difficult uh, than Joe Biden's. So when you look at... Go ahead. Yeah, according to the polling. Yes, according to the polling. All right, so the polling, let's take a look at some of that, that, you know, the the RCP, so you can see, you know, what some of those latest polls, what that looks like. Um, Latest RCP, top battleground averages. Um, when you start looking at some of these battleground averages, let me pop this up. Um, Florida up, Biden's up 1.7. North Carolina, Trump up five. Um, I'm on the wrong thing. These are Senate's. My my apologies, listeners. Um, so there's so many darn different things here. Um, I don't want national averages. Anyways, whatever. Uh, so once you look at the the latest polls, they're they're all different, right? So there's Susquehanna, which is always a little more right leaning, has Trump up one in Pennsylvania. NBC News Marist up five for Biden. Trafalgar, which always kind of leans Republican, up two. Monmouth up seven. Rasmussen, which is leans Republican. Biden up three in Pennsylvania. Um, Quinnipiac up five for Florida in Florida for. Uh, Biden, you know, you have to go back to remembering that 2016. It's easy. It's an easy out. If you are a Trump favoring person, it is easy to go. But the polls, you have to ignore thousands of polls over the course of an entire year. You have to ignore all of the data that we have just given you. And have to hope that there is somewhere some underpolled group. If that group exists, it is going to be an anti-lockdown sentiment, in my opinion. There's a possibility that because of the world that these people exist in, they don't understand the resentment towards lockdowns that those of us who exist in the middle states understand. So if that group that is being underpolled that gives Trump the advantage to run the table like he needs to, in my opinion, it will be the anti-lockdown sentiment. 
so far, there has not been anything in any polling that kind of shows that that exists. That is just my guess on if we're sitting here two nights from now wondering how did Donald Trump win this election, it's going to be the coronavirus lockdowns and an anti-lockdown sentiment. That I have not seen that kind of polled. I've not seen that really discussed. That you know, anytime people poll opinions on lockdowns, it's always kind of weighted towards a favorable opinion in the way that the question is asked. And so I think that that is kind of an underrated, underpolled piece of psychology that's not necessarily out there. But I tend to think that if you look at the the handling of the coronavirus numbers and some of what we talked about earlier. Trump is losing on that stuff pretty big, and across the board, none of these numbers look like Donald Trump can run those tables. But if he does pull out Pennsylvania, which is why he's there so much, like I think there's 16 different Trump campaign stops in the last two days in Pennsylvania, he makes Joe Biden the underdog, and now Joe Biden has to run a bunch of different tables. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch. It will um, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't know about the lockdown vote that you're talking about. I'm, I mean, I, I get what you're saying about it, but I've got a feeling that the people who are one way or another on that have already kind of were already well decided long before now. Like they, like somebody who's a Trump supporter is going to think one way, whereas somebody who's not who's a Trump, who doesn't like Trump, is going to think a completely different way, and I don't know if the lockdown is really going to move people on that. Um, I mean, I get it in the in the governor's race here, and in a lot of the different states, the governor's race, a lot of governors are going to be a problem. California, I think Newsom stays in, in good graces, because I think California wants the lockdowns. They think it's the right thing to do. So he's actually got high approval ratings for that. Um but when it comes down to the the presidential election, I don't see that as being a factor. But I could very well be wrong. Elastic Giraffe says, "If Biden loses PA, the Trump campaign should buy a dryer for that washing machine looter in West Philly." Uh, that is a really good point. You know, in Pennsylvania, they're right right around our buddy Brian Nichols' house of the Brian Nichols Show. There's looting going on. There was a, a cop, I believe, killed someone, and uh, that caused some rioting. And you've got the oil comments, you've got the rioting and looting taking place in Pennsylvania and around Philadelphia. Um, you know, that that definitely plays a role in Pennsylvania. Uh, the the one group that I didn't mention that I failed to mention from my thingy was the, uh, the drop in seniors. Um, he's losing 17, Trump is losing seniors by 17 points. Um, which can really hurt him in Florida, but he may make it up in those Hispanic numbers that that I mentioned. Um, So, uh, yeah, it all comes down to Pennsylvania, and that's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I think that it kind of comes down to Pennsylvania, but it could also just come down to North Carolina or Georgia at at that point, too. I mean, if one of those, I I think Pennsylvania tells us a lot, though. And I do like that. I I saw something where you could look at one county in Florida, who will be probably ninety over ninety percent returns in by seven thirty, mm-hmm. and you could probably tell the whole race by then. 
Yeah, so those early reporting states like Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, some of those Pennsylvania is not going to start counting. If it does come down to them, they're not counting ballots until the next day. Um, Ohio, I think, is an early reporting state. They've got a lot of their early votes counted, ready to – so when an early vote is – Go ahead. I think Pennsylvania started counting today. They they uh, put it into the uh, convention center and they started counting hundreds of thousands of ballots this morning, I believe. Okay, so let's I don't know when they're going to get those done. But. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know why we have such a big like dog here. Um. But you understand if they if it comes out and let's say by eight o'clock, Biden has won Florida. Yeah. It's, it's over, right? I mean, that, there's not much there you're going to see after that. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, it could very well be something like that happening where it's very easily to tell right at the beginning, but it also could be a nail biter down to Pennsylvania. So, so let's go through the map. And again, junk to 154 if you want to see the visual of this. We'll try to give uh, audible cues. Um, so, this is uh, this map basically that we're starting with at electoralvotemap.com if you want to make your own. You can also do it at 270towin.com. This map we're starting with is preset with the leans Democrat and leans Republican. Joe Biden is beginning this map with 290. Um, So that has to, I'm sure, switch at some point. Uh, Yeah, it does. Okay, so... Let's go through some of the swing states. Let's clear the board here. Oh, that's why it's that way. Uh, You know, we're going to give states like, you know, Alaska, Hawaii, California, um, Illinois, Indiana, those kind of states we're not going to talk about. But uh, Nevada, I think, is going blue. I think it's going for Joe Biden. What do you think? Mm -hmm. I think so, too. Um. Minnesota and Iowa are two very interesting states because those are the two swing states that Kanye West appears on the ballot. Now, you may just go, what a joke. No, there's no way. The irony vote carried a reality TV star that grabbed him by the peas all the way to the White House last time. So you you have to, you know, even though Minnesota hasn't gone for Republicans since the 70s, I could see if it's very tight there because Trump has been investing a lot there. He's been there a lot of times. He thinks the riots with George Floyd and in Kenosha really uh, are, help him in these two states. Um, you got the irony vote that picks off enough uh, votes to swing it to Biden. I'm still going to put it as a Biden state in Minnesota, and I'm going to say Iowa is a Republican state. It's going for Donald Trump. Do you agree? I agree with that so far. Okay. Ohio and Texas. Uh, These two states are always talked about as they're going blue. You know, Ohio was Ohio and Florida were like the big ones. No, for Ohio especially was like the swing state like Pennsylvania was in 2004. But it's reliably Republican, as is Texas. And yes, there are a lot of those registrations we showed you. But I can't imagine with with Donald Trump, like I wrote an article for at chrisspengel.com explaining why I think that Donald Trump could win the presidency, that he the race would tighten as some of those undecideds would come back to Trump because he would start to hammer home a message of Joe Biden sucks. Uh, I don't know that he's necessarily done that, but I think a lot of his surrogates have done a good job of painting Joe Biden as some massive statist. 
Um, and so I think that's going to tighten it. And and even though Real Clear Politics and and five thirty eight I think has it as forty nine point five to forty nine point five or forty seven point five to forty seven point five in Ohio, my gut tells me it's going for Trump. As is Texas. Do you agree? You need to turn on your mic. I agree, but I think that it may be the last election where Texas is safely kind of safely red. Yeah, so the number but that everybody it, I still think it goes red this time. I the number is 16 9 and 3. Uh in for Mitt Romney, Texas 16 points over for Mitt Romney, 9 points over for Donald Trump, 3 points for Ted Cruz, and now one point, two points for Donald Trump. That might be a nail biter. I think it's going to be under. It'll be un, under one percent, maybe. It'd be similar to what Pennsylvania was. I think the win for Pennsylvania for him. So yeah, I think that this is definitely a uh, a state to watch. The demographics are changing. Republicans are going to have to figure something different out, and libertarians need to rethink their paleo strat their paleo libertarian strategy. Uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, um, these are two states that Donald Trump won along with Pennsylvania in 2016. The polling there has become more and more brutal for Donald Trump. It is clearly swinging towards uh, Joe Biden by several points. So, I mean, even if they underpolled, it's it was a, a two to three point swing in 2016. Can you really find a polling error of... Seven to nine percent for these two states. I don't think you can. Um, what do you think? Nope. I mean, it's uh, it's where it's going to be. I mean, there's. I said a year ago that he lost Michigan. There's no way he's ever getting it back. Yeah. So um, I mean, some of the unions there makes it interesting, but in my opinion, those three states the are tariffs gone. Hurt them. Yeah, the tariffs hurt them a lot too. And so uh, we I just we are now at ninety-one toss-up. Left. Joe Biden has 259 electoral votes. Donald Trump has 188. Arizona, I think, is going blue. Um, it's It's been trending that way. The only polling I've seen coming out of there that has it going red, I've went to go look at, and it's all from the Center of American Greatness. Okay. All right. Well, polling. Center for like, yeah, but they're, they're they're still getting added into the averages. But I went and looked at the the uh, the methodology, what little of it there was, and it's they're not doing any kind of waiting or or it's just like we called five hundred people. Here's what they said. That's our poll, and it's like you you, you could have just called the wrong five hundred people and got the wrong information. You're not waiting it based off of demographics in any way. Or trying to figure out what the mathing is, you're just going and getting the answers you wanted. So I, I don't trust that poll much. So I'm going to have to go with the Biden no. Thing. What Trafalgar Rasmussen, I mean less Rasmussen, but Trafalgar, but especially these American Greatness polls and some of these right wing. What they've done is they've figured out that people will just kind of glance at the RCP polls, and it can have an effect on momentum. And so American Greatness is this uh, pro-Trump website. Basically, it's like a We Are Libertarians. It was started by a radio talk show host somewhere in the Midwest, and he started this website and has, like, Victor Davis Hanson and all these big contributors to it. 
and they've started adding polling to the RC. And I don't know why they're adding them because they're just doing it to skew the averages. Um, so you have to kind of drill in and go, okay, um, because their methodology is not good at all. So that comes to Florida. I think Florida's going to Trump. What do you think? When I when I did mine earlier last on Friday, I gave it I gave Florida to Trump, but I'm wishy on that one, like a wishy washy on that one. I I could see it going either way. I'm kind of squishy Trump. Let's put it that way. I think it's going to be a Trump. I think it's going to be a squishy Trump. Okay, so the funny thing about North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida that we have left. Now, A, Joe Biden's already at 270 electoral votes. Yeah. The thing about Georgia, North Carolina, and Florida is these are deadly close, as is Ohio. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I want to give the deadly close ones to Donald Trump. Um, yeah. Now, Florida, Florida and Ohio are on the bubble, and I just get the vibe that those are going towards Donald Trump. It's his home state. And the Hispanic vote there is strong. He's courted a lot of – he's courted like the Cubans in Miami. You watch, you know, several of the Florida counties. As they come back early, that, that can be a sign. But it could be close. And the polling in 2018, DeSantis never led in a poll. Neither did Rick Scott. And they won by two to three points in 2018. So it's hard to poll in Florida. So my gut just says it's going to Donald Trump. Now, uh, now ironically – Pennsylvania is polling five to eight points consistently for Joe Biden. He's often been called the third senator from uh, Pennsylvania. He was born in Scranton, which apparently drives everybody nuts. Um, we'll save that one for last. I I think that North Carolina is going blue. Uh, it's just I, like you look at the, the Senate race there is so aggressively against Tillis. When, when you start to look in these states, you don't just look at the polls for the presidential race. You look at the Iowa Senate race. You look at the Arizona Senate race. You look at some of those numbers, too, because some of those polls, once you dig down in their information, can give you some insight into stuff. And North Carolina is going the way of Virginia, and it is going blue. Um, where would you put it? I, I agree that it's probably going to go blue this time. Now, that leaves us and with— I think Georgia—I think— I remember telling Stone four months ago that there is no way that Georgia is not going for Trump. You think now, Trump wins okay. Georgia? Yeah. But, I, but I now, well, now I'm getting like, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe it might go Biden. 2018. Seeing the numbers. 2018, Kemp beats Stacey Abrams for governor by 50,000 votes. Stacey Abrams got, so there's 60% of the state is white voters. Stacey Abrams got 28 points of white voters in her race. In some of these polls, Joe Biden is consistently around 33% of white voters, which is more than half of white voters in Georgia, which is what is putting him over. The suburbs in these congressional races are trending towards the Democrats. The, the polls in the last days are trending towards the Democrats and those two Senate seats that are up. So I could easily see it going for Joe Biden. Yeah, and I, I think those two Senate seats are really going to throw the Senate election into, into some wacky hijinks myself. So. Yeah, and they have runoffs, so there is a possibility. Because it could be 49-49 with two runoffs. And then and everybody in the country is fighting for those two seats, which could be awesome. Yeah. Uh, that leaves Pennsylvania. And I've got to tell you, my gut, 
everything in my head says that that is going for Joe Biden because he's so far up in polls. But everything in my gut says that's going for Donald Trump. What do you think? I think it's going for Biden. I think that there's some 2016 biases going on in some of the polling that people are overcorrecting for potentially missing something. Um, therefore, I think the I think it goes blue. Just what I'm thinking. Man. Um, all right. And I I told you when I was when we were on Lions of Liberty, I predicted the over 300 electoral votes. So yeah. Uh, so I'll download our two maps. I'm giving I'm giving Pennsylvania to Trump. There's just something about Pennsylvania that you get 50 like. You get 50,000 people out to a freaking event like that, like, I don't know. Those numbers are, are really, you know, I could see it. I could see it going your way and it being 321, you know, and uh, and and going that way. And maybe even Ohio, and you end up at 339. But my gut tells me that he's kind of closing. And I don't, I don't like, gut feelings are not facts. And the, I saw, like, one map that was just so laughable. <laughs> like, and I hate to just, like, call this guy out. Um, oh, I forgot my... Did I play the kin... I did play the kinbone thing. Okay, good. Yeah, you did at the beginning. All right. So Greg Rubini, who <laughs> is a strategy advisor, has somehow has 150,000 uh, followers on Twitter. Big Trump fan. Has Trump winning 406 electoral votes... Joe Biden is only taking California, Illinois, New York, Vermont, and Massachusetts <laughs> and Hawaii and uh, gives all these different reasons, basically uses American greatness polls. And it's just going to be a 404. I mean, on what planet? So I don't know. Um, all right. So that's that's my map. 301. This is uh, Reinhold's map. 321 electoral votes. Uh, I would put the popular vote um i would say trump's going to get about 44 percent of the vote we'll use that and then i'm gonna give howie hawkins and joe jorgensen each two percent so that's 48 and that leaves 52 percent for joe biden so 52 48 two and two where would you where would you kind of put the popular vote? Uh, I think it's going to be fifty two forty five. So you think third parties are going to get more votes? Um, actually, it might be higher than fifty two. I it's hard it's hard for me to say because I just don't see Trump getting over forty four, forty three, forty four, forty five. Maybe I mean that's the kind of the top limit. I think he he's able to pull right now. Um. So, however, that kind of fleshes out for Biden ahead. I think Biden gets at least over 50. Yeah, I do, too. Um, it could be even up 45, 50. So, uh, I, know, I know California is not staying home at all this year. I mean, they're going to they're right. blow out the numbers. Yeah. Okay, so third-party vote, Joe Jorgensen. Uh, Jorgensen was always at a structural disadvantage for several different reasons. First, Gary Johnson, like Justin Amash, the media will always, the day Justin Amash announced he was on Meet the Press, right? So that's never happened. 
You know, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld get on 60 minutes, for goodness sake. Uh, that didn't happen. Joe Rogan had Gary on once, maybe twice, didn't have Joe on. The amount of media that Gary Johnson got was ridiculous. And the vibe before the 2016 election was much different than this. This feels so much more existential. Like, it feels like there is uh, just the, the the we didn't board up businesses in anticipation of the 2016 election. Like, there was a bit more of a mercur- mercurial, fun atmosphere to it. Uh, and I don't think, I think people, there was much more of a sentiment of, they both suck, so I'm going to vote for Gary Johnson or for Jill Stein. There was much more of a I'm going to throw my vote away feeling as opposed to this time where every libertarian is fighting over whether Donald Trump and Joe Biden are libertarian or not. They're not. Stop it. Uh, so I, I the, the, the A, people being afraid – in a fear election are going to go to one of the two parties because they view it as self-protection Two, way less media, which really drops the, the presence of a campaign in a significant way. Name ID is literally the most, if not the only important metric in any campaign, you can have so many dollars, uh, but you're only using it to, to generate name ID because that's what matters. Um, uh, and then third, the type of campaign that they ran was different. They they ran a campaign for the grassroots, and they did what was asked of them, which is why it's discouraging to see the Boomer Caucus that is constantly in a fight with everybody shitting on Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen because they're literally the campaign that they have been asking for forever, right? Like, we want a pure campaign that only talks about libertarian issues and abolishing the uh, the uh, ATF and ending the Fed and and all these different issues, and that wasn't good enough. Well, it's because they they only want it to be that. They don't want you to talk about anything else. No culture stuff. Right. No culture war well, stuff. No, they no, want to end abortion. No they want their culture. Right. Yeah, I mean that that's the big problem with that caucus is that they don't want to have libertarians associated with that in at any side whatsoever. Um so right there they kind of just fall down yeah. and it gives that bad perception of what libertarianism is. libertarianism is. It's not you know leave me alone, it's leave everybody alone. Right. And so uh you either know who we're talking about, we won't use their name in vain. Uh, they're doing um, many of them are doing great work. There's just one or two people that we disagree with, um, but the 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 need to like shit on the Jorgensen campaign is so unhelpful. It's like we're never going to get like pick out the good things about it, right? Like, was it an inspiring Ron Paul campaign? No, but save it for after the election, like. For once in our lives, can we all be team players and on the same team somewhat? Now, was was Joe the most inspiring candidate that could have been chosen? Not really, but really what was going to be the alternative? Uh, I mean, John Mons is probably, if I were a delegate, who I was going to vote for. I really liked him. I really felt he, he kind of appealed across to the broadest spectrum. Like, if you're picking a candidate for any race... As we've seen with Donald Trump not trying to appeal to people other than his 
you're going to lose the race because you need a majority, not just a plurality of voters. And so John Mons, I felt, was going to appeal to the most people because he he talked like a pragmatic person but had very radical ideas. Um, I really liked uh, a lot of what Jacob Hornberger talks about, but I felt he was less inspiring than than John Mons. Um, but he and Jorgensen were kind of on the same level, and then Judge Gray. Like, it was always going to be a grassroots campaign, right? Like, it was always going to be who's going to do the most to build the party. And I really think that these this bus tour that they went on was tremendous. I can't tell you as a – when I was executive director for those two Johnson campaigns – or no, no, no. Uh, yeah. No, it was around for two Johnson campaigns effectively. Um, and then the Bob Barr campaign, we couldn't get Barr here. At the time, Indiana was the strongest state. If you want to see what is the strongest Libertarian Party affiliate, take a look at Donald Rainwater's numbers, and then you all can chortle my balls, okay? You can suck at New Hampshire. Because even without an executive director, they're still ha- they still have the capacity. Anybody who ever shit on Sam Goldstein should write him a note of apology for managing a staff of 14 people, $250,000, $300,000 in donations, distributing 10,000 yard signs to 10,000 individuals and not just right-of-ways. Like, because Sam Goldstein has done this for 30 years without pay— he has had the he had the experience to be on the ground and do the right stuff at the right time, and that's because he's an all star. And y'all should thank him instead of shitting on him because of uh, of conventions that all those fiascos were obviously someone else's fault. And we know who I'm talking about. Um, but uh, Jorgensen has been here. Jorgensen or Spike have been here multiple times. And I know they've been to multiple states that had never had a presidential candidate show up. And so what does that do? They reached out to people who weren't normally libertarian-leaning people and got them on board, right? They reached out to the Black Lives Matter. They reached out to the, you know, the other side too. I mean, they were, they were doing what we wanted them to be doing, but. The the problem was is that it was doomed to failure from the start from certain people because they just want power within the party for themselves. And they don't they'll make up any excuse or any reason why. It was the same thing with, with Gary Johnson, how Gary Johnson was a failure because he only got three percent of the vote <laughs> or whatever. And I'm like I, no, it was even what worse are than you that. Talking when, about? <laughs> when I I'd rather us get one percent of principled people instead of three percent. Please fly out to the states that have ballot access this year because of that three percent. You know, like yeah. the the reality is that uh, Jorgensen was always just trying to make sure this cycle didn't get screwed up after Amash dropped out. Amash dropped out, and probably, as much as it sucked, it was probably a smart move for his future political career and the future of him running in the in next time, basically. Uh, and Jorgensen was trying to protect the party from bad messaging that wasn't going to appeal broadly. And she did that. She did her job. She, you cannot imagine how hard it is to run for an office. You cannot imagine how much stress it puts on a person's personal life. You cannot imagine how, and I'm not saying this about Joe, I'm saying like in past when I managed campaigns, candidates got divorced or almost divorced all the time because it's so hard. And I cannot imagine how hard it was for Joe Jorgensen to have a full-time job, to manage all these people, 
you know, none of these people are really getting paid. You know, it's not it's not uh, Ron Nielsen making a massive bank. <laughs> um, so they did what they needed to do, which was when they came to Indiana, 400 people showed up and all of our local candidates got that information. They all got a chance to speak to those people. We got local press. You know, for when your presidential race is a marketing opportunity, they was it as good as Gary Johnson's 2016 campaign in terms of marketing beyond the party? No. Was it a good marketing opportunity for the grassroots to reach new people and identify local libertarians? It was the best in terms of that. Gary Johnson came here twice. We had two, three hundred people at one event, a couple hundred at another. Um. You know, and that was great, and that helped us build some county parties when the, when that happened in 2012. He didn't come here or in 2016. That uh, no, 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 that was 12. I don't think he came here in 2016. He had one event here, I believe. Okay, I thought. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. So, but but the thing, the problem was, is that when. You can say, "Oh, did he? Did Jorgensen get all this media attention?" Of course not, because the media decides who they're going to give the attention to. It's yeah. not like I, I saw a certain you know former candidate for chair say that he was just going to have a press conference and the press would show up and we'd make our point. And I'm like, they wouldn't even come to it. I mean, not you're, you're 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 losing it by thinking that you can control the media. You have to play the game to get attention in order to do it right. And, and Johnson was able to do that because he had uh, some gravitas that he brought to it. He had some seriousness to it, not in personality wise, but in the fact that he had run a state and been reelected as a governor of a state. Yeah. And he had another governor, two time governor of the state with him running. Now we can argue about whether or not that was a great idea to have that person representing libertarianism or not. But it as wasn't. for getting media attention, <laughs> that's how you get it. And fundraising dollars. Yeah. Weld, the thing about Weld is that he was good at tapping into media networks and fundraising networks, and he was beneficial for that reason. But he's a POS, let's be honest. Uh, he always was. Yeah, he but, but here's, the, here's the thing that really gets me is all the people who are crapping on him for – at near the end of the race saying, you know, if you're not going to vote for us, vote for Hillary instead of Trump. Right. He never said And that. he got a bunch of crap for that by certain people who are now saying <laughs> you should go. You should go vote for Trump if you're not going to vote for Joe. But Jordan. that's not what Weld said. What Weld said was, yes, Hillary Clinton is a serious person. I vouch for her. That yeah, is, well, he vouched for her because no, no, he vouched for her. I, I want to clear the air. The he vouched con- for her because the context, they were attacking her and saying that she was uh, doing something illegal. He was saying no, she's not doing anything illegal. I vouch for her. She's a serious. That's person. not an endorsement. That's far a, far different from what the the uh, the butterfly effect or whatever the Mandela effect of him endorsing Hillary Clinton, which is not what he ever did. It was sort of a right, you know. And they they did and, that and shit then, about a mosh too. Then, but he did later say. Um, when, when asked about it, because they always ask the question, you know, if if you don't vote for if you weren't going to vote for you and you only had to vote for those two, who would you choose? And they always said, you know, I wouldn't choose. I would give me the gun. If gun held to my head, right. give me the gun, right? One time, well, decided to answer the question. And he did say, I think you should vote for us. We're, good. We're the best choice, you know, um, Johnson and, and myself. But if you're not going to vote for us, 
go vote for Hillary. That was what kind of got him in trouble because they left off that other part. Right. And all of the all the uh, all the all the libertarian media went out there and found that and just said, oh, look at this. He's endorsing Hillary. But he was actually saying that he wanted none, people to vote for him. None of that is fundamentally different. So at the Indiana convention and we aired the audio of it so people could hear him explain all that to the Indiana delegates a couple years ago. And in the crowd, a certain pink haired person was roasting the hell out of him for it. And she just tweeted that it's okay to vote that that basically if you're not like Donald Trump is the more libertarian option and you're just like you're the sitting LNC secretary what like you literally mm-hmm. just pulled a Bill Weld so funny and Julie Borowski just did that yeah well Julie's always she, been more Republican than libertarian she's never been yeah, an LP I person so but but I'm just saying well, you these, will not these be are the people who no you no, know, no no Austin Shh. Peterson no you will not be mean to Julie Borowski on these airwaves. And Austin is doing Austin's thing, and he's just trolling. That's yeah. I, but but the, what I'm saying is, there's a lot of libertarians who are going out there now, saying that you, that Trump is the more libertarian, and you should vote for him. Who gave Weld crap for doing it in 2016 sure. with Hillary? It's not about the fact that it was Weld doing it in a presidential election and blah 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 blah. It's because it was Hillary, and these people are right leading libertarians. Yeah. That's what it was. All right, well, let him be. All right, hey, I want them to let me be. You let me be. Let me be myself. Quit telling me how mm-hmm. I need to think, and I won't tell you how to think. That's how I look at it. But can't we all just get I along? Just, I just, yeah. I, I hate hypocrisy. I, 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 listen, it's just my I, thing. Yeah, I get it, but it's easier just to get along with people. Like, I, I, Oh, I don't I, hate I, any of these people. A, That's AP, the thing is, I, a, even the people I disagree with, I still will sit down and have lunch with them and talk to them and yeah. have a good time with them. I was, but if, if I didn't care what they thought, you know, that would be one thing. I wouldn't, you know, probably say anything. But yeah. it's, it's that I do care. But my final, my final thing is I think she's going to shed a point because of those, those factors. Like, really, at the end of the day, what everybody needs to understand is that the Libertarian Party presidential candidate – is not really in charge of where they land. Ballot access laws, straight ticket voting, um, fundraising hurdles, the media, the election cycle, and the way that it's positioned. Is this the most important vote of your lifetime, or is this just sort of... it, It is... There's... Where the choice matters is if your friend that has finally asked you about libertarianism looks at your candidate and is uninspired or is inspired, or is turned off, that's where it matters. But their percentage, I don't know that they're, because there is no bottom-up grassroots movement, and the Libertarian Party does not have the data that other parties have in a significant way, there is no real way to control what percentage they get in a presidential race. And so until that is built, we're, we're kind of arguing over the wrong things. Uh, we should be arguing over how we can best collect data and use these campaigns to do that. Uh, you know, now if Justin Amash declares a year out and all of a sudden is on Meet the Press and then Joe Rogan and all these different things like he was, like Gary Johnson was, and is an impressive individual that your friends don't kind of think is goofy, that's going to be a significant win. You know, Jorgensen has not turned people off, but she's not turning people on. So, all right, it's a draw. You know, they're really doing exactly what they needed to do. I'm not going to criticize the campaign. I think they did the right stuff. Um, Was it perfect? Of course not. 
and and if they get less than Gary Johnson, it's not really their fault because they can't control the way that the meat like so much. The reason I started this program talking about how you think about this stuff, what sites you visit, all that is because public opinion has so much more effect on you and on everybody else than you realize. And it has a major effect on third-party voting. I can't tell you how uncomfortable it is for me straddling the libertarian world that wants to S the D of Donald Trump so hard right now, and then the pat-down audience that is seeing an existential threat in Donald Trump and violently angry at me for voting for Joe Jorgensen, and then the people who are, you know, on the right, my Republican friends, how can you support socialism by not voting for Donald Trump? Like, it's a very uncomfortable, this is the most uncomfortable I have ever been as a third-party voter. And I don't know if it's by virtue of the much bigger platforms that I have than four years ago, which is probably a part of it, because all of a sudden, instead of uh, dozens of people, I have hundreds of people kind of telling me what I need to believe and think. Um, but... Maybe some of you guys feel that too. So yeah, I think one to two percent for Joe Jorgensen, and I'm not going to fault them for it. They did what they could do with the limited resources they had. So, yep, I'm not going to like I said, I'm not going to do that. The, here's here's the perfect example of what the problem is: is that in 2016, I had my family coming to me and saying, "I've heard this Gary Johnson guy. Yeah. He's a libertarian. I know you're a libertarian. Tell me a little bit more about him. What's going on?" This year. The same people were saying, oh, man, I wish there was a libertarian running. Yeah. They, they just don't get told because yeah. the media won't talk about it. And do you and think that's all they get their news from? Do you think that Joe Jorgensen's campaign is doing nothing to solve that problem? Or are they doing everything they possibly can with the resources they have and they just don't have enough resources yeah. because they're yeah, getting is, not nearly as much funding as Gary Johnson got? Right, there's there's no, there's no way for them to convince the media who is already having its own issues with just uh, functioning right now to take time away from what they're trying to make money on and go cover something that nobody's going to care. They don't think anybody's going to care about. Right. What's in it for them to do? Right. There's no financial gain for it. It's not going to be news. It's just wasting inked and time for them. So they're going to focus on the big story, which is Trump taking out all the air because he's the story every day. Right. So that's, he, he plays the press to get that attention. That attention prevents that from going other places. Elastic giraffe. How big of a mistake was it for Jorgensen not to participate in the free and equal open presidential debate in Cheyenne? I run the, Irrelevant. I run the third to fifth largest libertarian podcast and I have no idea what you're talking about. I never heard about it. So, Never, so what like, it was 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 there was a group that's trying to get started to compete with the president, the committee for presidential debates. Yeah, it's she, free right. and equal. Christina Tobin, she does a great job. She's a great asset to the the third party world, and right. uh, she's tried to do this several times, and she's great. And I hope right. it takes off. I just, I didn't, I don't know why they didn't persist. I didn't know it was taking place. Nobody told me. Like I, you know, it's. Well, is it relevant? Nobody, I don't think it is. Nobody because... agreed to show up, so they canceled the event. Okay, well, then that's why. All right. But, yeah. I mean, listen, Bob Barr famously pissed off Ron Paul, and this is a – I have never heard Ron Paul say a nice thing about the Libertarian Party. And this is the funny thing about, like, the, the Ron Paul worship and uh, we need the Libertarian Party. Like, 
The idea that Ron Paul is the greatest asset to the Libertarian Party, I don't agree with that necessarily. He's the greatest asset maybe in terms of recruiting new Libertarians to the broader Libertarian movement. But to the Libertarian Party since 1988, he has been largely hostile. And he has only, he has only endorsed that anybody can find two Libertarians since he ran in 1988. Uh, one is running right now. Um, he is uh, man. I can't think of it. If anybody in the comments, he uh, um, he's like a Mises writer, a big name. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. I have so many facts in my head. And I can only keep so many. Um, Anthony, uh, gosh. And then there it was another one who was like a really close personal friend. Everybody else has been a Republican. And then the rest of the time, like coming up in the Libertarian Party. When Ron Paul was doing those campaigns, he actively sabotaged behind the scenes the other Libertarian Party candidates because he was bitter about Bob Barr's decision. And and he just generally told people the LP sucks, to which you constantly well, also, see that. He also had in the in the caucus that he had in the Republican Party with a rule that no member of the caucus could support or endorse a Libertarian. Yeah, so – it's always kind of laughable now because this cycle is like the first time he's ever endorsed an LP candidate and it's, and it's a personal friend, but um, I forget why I got on that tangent. All right. I'm tired. We've, we've enough of this. All right. Um, yeah. So goodness gracious. Final thoughts for the episode and for election. We didn't do the Senate. Um, what would you guess in terms of Senate seats? I think it's going to be 51-49 Democrats. All right. That's about where 51 to 53 Democrats is about where I'm going to put it. Um, Let me explain to you how screwed you Republicans are. Why you should be so mad at Republicans. Instead of just blaming the media all the time, you take a look at at Trump and Republicans. Like, just look at these maps, for instance. Like... You know, let me pull this map up. It really is amazing at how many of these states are now in play. Uh, let me turn this on here. Excuse me. Sorry. I should have had this ready. So if you're a Republican, right? So 10 years ago, Nevada was red, now blue. Arizona, red, now blue. New Mexico, reddish purplish Colorado was red turning purplish Georgia is probably a permanent blue state if it goes blue North Carolina permanent blue state Virginia permanent blue state Minnesota Wisconsin Michigan are no longer in play Iowa's on the fence Texas is on the fence Ohio's on the fence Indiana soft Missouri soft Kansas is soft Arkansas, he's only getting 47, 48% in polls in Arkansas. Like, when you look at the erosion of states like Colorado, Arizona, Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia becoming solid red states and turning into not just, not even purple states, like just blue, and Texas will be there, the Republican Party's really in trouble. And that's because of the Bush era and their interventionism and their warmongering and the Republican party stance on immigration on minorities in general, on the Southern strategy on gay marriage, uh, 
you know, now with Trump, a turn towards nationalism and nativism. Uh, and I mean, you're going, you're, if you're a Republican, you've got a president that didn't fill out a quarter of the government and a swamp creature is about to come in and fill out some very long-term permanent bureaucratic positions with hardcore Democrats because your guy didn't forever for, for a generation install his people. <laughs> Not because he ideologically didn't want to, but because he was incompetent and didn't know he should. And then he acted like such a fool that, I mean, listen to this program. Like, I barely ever criticized Trump. Like, when we talked impeachment in January, I was just like, Ryan Hold, you have TDS. This year turned me, man. Like, that moment at the church with the Bible, that was it. That was the moment I went, uh-uh. No, this guy's everything that uh, Reinhold and everybody says he is. You know, he's turned. I was defending him. I was defending him at the beginning, too, until yeah. the Bueller report. So. You know, and then it, it just, like, it's become evident who he is, and, and it's turned people off to a large degree that there is a permanent, like, there was one guy who's working in Texas, and he said the acceleration from Texas from a deep red state to a blue state has been shrunk by five to seven years because of Donald Trump. And you now have a situation where let's say this is a blue wave. Let's say they're under polling Democrats and Joe Biden wins by eight points as the national average says, and they have 57, 56 seats in the Senate. They don't even need to get rid of the filibuster and they get, they get more house seats in, in a bigger difference than has been in place in like 20, 30, 40 years or some crazy number. It was, uh, and then they lose a ton of uh, that that blue wave, like here in Indiana, for instance, in the fifth congressional district, a deep red Republican. Dan Burton was there forever, uh, so safe that he could call uh, Bill Clinton a scumbag and get away with it at the, at the time. Um, it's going to flip blue, and within that district is the Indiana Speaker of the House, and he may lose his seat, and it may flip Democrat. And the, the Indiana Republicans have super majorities in their House and Senate, and the Indiana House Speaker may lose in a blue wave. So if this is actually a Biden blue wave, and I don't know that it will be, but let's entertain that idea just as we entertain the idea of a Trump victory. The redistricting for the next 10 years, as we talked in the census, is really bad. So the damage of four years of Trump has been an erosion of all these states, a loss of redistricting, and you really have to ask yourself if you're, if you're a Republican, like, what was the what was the value of it? What did we get out of it? Because, I I mean, when you look at the, the okay, well, we got tax cuts. Well, yeah, but then the tariffs eroded 900 of the $1,200 that we got back. The only thing that is of value if you're a conservative Republican is the three, is the three seats on the Supreme court. So, uh, I don't know, man, I, if I were a Republican, I'd be so mad because they had no closing message. They, they did the greatest hits. If it would, if he, if he, listen, this guy defies all laws of political science. You, there's no reason he should ever win anything and get away with anything, but he gets away with everything. And I don't, I don't understand how people don't treat him like a person. Uh, and it's really amazing. So you're a bully. What, yeah, the fact that we're that entertaining. Right yeah, go ahead. 
if you look at that map right there, let's say Texas becomes permanently blue. Yeah. Okay. Because Trump spent so much time making the Republican Party be against immigration when Texas is a lot of immigration-friendly areas. Yeah. So, so let's say that causes that to turn blue. Where's the path for any Republican to win a presidency again? California, red, is blue. Texas, blue. How many? How many you got there? Right. You, uh, if you are looking at the map of swings, and you give every every one of those swings to. You give him Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Texas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Minnesota, along with all the others. It's 400 electoral votes. You swing Florida, it's 378 votes. Let's say you get Ohio back occasionally. It's 360 votes for the Democratic president. You have an, you can take away you, Pennsylvania. You can take away Pennsylvania um, at 340. You yeah. know, even Texas, give it back. If you if you are if you give away Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Nevada, it's a permanent three hundred and two electoral college. So all these people, it'll be. I guarantee. Play this tape back. Use my words against me. <laughs> uh, play the tape. In ten years, Republicans will be wanting to get rid of the electoral college. <laughs> you know, uh, it's. We are we are real because and this is I guess why people go why are you harder on Republicans? They were the last defense for deficits, for limited government, for constitutionalism, and the last four years they walked away from it. They said no, thank you. We're going with nationalism, and they let us down. Like I am a center right person, I, I should be excited to be a Republican, and they offer me nothing. And I just don't get how they don't at a certain point look at the future of their demographics and go, we need to change. And I really don't get libertarians in the boomer caucus who go, we need to copy their messaging. The president who has never pulled above 43 percent in approval and is headed towards a, a huge loss. We need to be like him. That works. That's a winning message. Like we need to, we need to be closed borders. Like, uh, the, and do the things that have, like, libertarianism comes out of the classically liberal tradition, which is multicultural, which is open, because you need groups to get together and work together in harmony to achieve prosperity. Multi, different cultures need to work together to make a free market work. And so when you start trying to divide with grievance politics or class politics or anything that the left or right offers through nationalism or socialism, you end up perverting the entire libertarian message because it's not open to all. It's, and instead of trying to refine the messages of division that Donald Trump has really chased after, we need to build, use better language to be more inclusive to people to figure out how to have these different cultures connect and work together. Siloing ourselves off is only getting us to a place where we are boarding up windows in anticipation for an election losing. That's where nationalism gets you, combined with socialism. I don't want to live in that world, and I don't know why people are offering that as a libertarian alternative, because it's not. It's just more of the two sides that are leading to 
oh, I don't know, are we going to have a civil war or not? Like, n- no thanks for me, I'll have none. Um, but, all right, well, that ends and our and election day, special, but go ahead, you know, one, final word. Yeah, one day I'll go into a long explanation of how we got to that point in the Libertarian Party, um, with some history and some interviews, but uh, for now, I'll just say that it's it was planned at one point, and a train started rolling, and we can't stop it. Yep. All right. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We hope to talk to you in a few days and see what shakes out. We'll probably wait till Saturday just so we can kind of, uh, you know, get a good answer. Yeah, just have an answer and and you know. But if we have a definitive result, we'll we'll uh, check in with you. But uh, stay tuned to chrisspangle.com. I'll be uh, writing there in the meantime. And uh, Reinhold's blog, which is coming soon. (laughs) That's the name of the blog. The blog's been there for 30 years, but we'll be back writing on it. The content is coming. At righthold.org. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. We can go and see all my anti-Democrat screeds for the last 10 years that everybody thinks I'm a Trump derangement syndrome person for. It's okay. All right, guys. Stay safe. I hope that you feel a little bit better. I hope you feel more informed. We appreciate it. If you love the show, please spread the word. Time is running out to uh, get people on board because they're not going to care about politics after tomorrow. So please, hey, listen to this podcast today. They'll inform you. If you've listened this far into it, (laughs) then you love us. So, all right, thanks so much, and we'll see you again on Saturday.